when we talk with people about cannabis, you know, we were talking about helping people find the strain that they tune into, that their bodies are drawn to because that's the strain or that's the plant that they need. Um, this is all very individual. And you talked about, you know, fingerprints and how we're all different on the inside and the outside. Everyone's endocannabinoid system is wired differently. Yeah. So what, you know, in fact, 15% of the population, um, somewhere around there based on studies that have been done recently, um, CBD is meant to calm all of our regulatory systems, but for about 15% of the population, it can actually be very, very elevating, And so they actually just have a different type of endocannabinoid system. Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check. Today, Paul is talking with the founder of Herba Buena, Alicia Rose. Alicia has run a vertically integrated cannabis company since 2015. And prior to this, she worked with some of the top wineries in Napa Valley. With the goal of cultivating greater health, harmony, and higher consciousness for people and planet, her company Herba Buena has pioneered the conscious cannabis movement and released the first Demeter-certified biodynamic cannabis in the USA. She has also helped to write the cannabis ordinances for three counties and four cities in the state of California. Hello, welcome to Marijuana, Freedom or Bondage, Balance or Disease with Alicia Rose. Boy, are you in for a treat today. In this deep, expansive interview, medical marijuana expert and biodynamic grower Alicia Rose and I get deep into all aspects of marijuana. Alicia is not only a very smart, grounded, and practical woman, as you'll soon hear, she's got a great sense of humor. Some of the key topics you'll hear us get into today are why medical marijuana or marijuana in general is the mother of all plants, the many body, emotional, mental, and spiritual issues marijuana and marijuana derivatives can help with, the spiritual qualities of marijuana and related uses and abuses, all you need to know to avoid purchasing poor quality or even ineffective CBD oil and other marijuana products, and the silliness rampant in the marijuana industry today. The importance of understanding marijuana holistically, the various marijuana derivatives and their uses, how we can communicate with plants, and sexual enhancement with marijuana products. If you'd like to learn more about how I apply the vaporizer to tobacco, herbs, and marijuana, as well as a detailed history of marijuana and its medical benefits, I think you'll love my online course with Czech Practitioner Level 4, Phil Dlair and I. It's available online at tiny.cc forward slash healing herb and it is called the healing herb i hope you enjoy this amazing podcast as much as i did well hello and welcome to living 4d with paul check i've got an amazing guest alicia rose an absolute expert on all things marijuana a topic that i think we really need to be much more informed on today for all the reasons we'll get into today the title of the show today is marijuana freedom or bondage balance or disease I first learned about Alicia Rose from a very good friend of mine who is a highly skilled biodynamic farmer, actually quite a genius guy, friend of mine. And uh, he has turned me on to a lot of excellent, excellent products over the many years we've worked together. And one of the things he did recently, uh, probably about six or seven months ago now, was said, you have to meet Alicia Rose and talk to her and try her products because they're excellent. And coming from 
him, I said, okay, and I followed through. So Alicia, welcome to Living 4D. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. It's my pleasure. I'd love it if you could give us some of your some of your history regarding how you got into working with marijuana and what specifically it was about this plant that's captivated you so beautifully. Mm, what a great question. Um, well, I uh, started my journey, my professional journey, um, working to sort of heal the nation. Um, I actually went out and, and got a master's degree in ecosystem science. That's and cool. International affairs. Yep. Um, I had a sense from very early on at a very young age that um, when you start sort of being able to ponder the, you know, bigger questions, why am I here? Um, it, the answer always came is I'm here to make the planet ever so slightly better than I found it. Um, and that has been a, a consistent kind of philosophy and, and sort of innate um, driving force in in my life for as long as I can remember. And so um, you know, it, my education was geared toward that, and I did a lot of work on the Hill geared toward that. And then through a uh, sort of long and storied tale, I ended up in wine country uh, and ended up working with some of the most extraordinary wineries in the world, 100-point winemakers and so on, um, and really trying to help um, define a new level of quality that wasn't just based on a Robert Parker score or, you know, on, a, um, on somebody's sort of... Uh, idea of what quality was, but sort of hearkening it back to the importance of the earth and the way that we cultivate these incredible grapevines and the process and purity through which we develop, um, you know, this, this nectar, this, this wine. Um, and how that led me to cannabis is uh, a bit of a mystery even to me, other than the fact that um, I realized that wine was not my own legacy, that I had been helping to a lot of incredible and extraordinary people define their legacy through their wine projects. Um, but when it came to looking at my own, you know, legacy on this planet, uh, at least for this life, that, um, that there was something strongly calling me to plant medicine. And I think that that had been a current that had been there for, you know, as long as I can remember, but not something that I had ever managed to grasp fully. And so, you know, there's a lot of particularly women in the cannabis industry right now that will say the same thing, that they feel called, they feel called to be a voice or to work with this plant. Um, and that is absolutely true for me. It, it guided me and, you know, cannabis is something that's been in my life for a very long time, um, probably longer than, than I, you know, should even admit, but, um, but it's always been this, you know, great equal, equal, equilibrium creator for me, I guess is the best way to say it. And so um, there was no question that I needed to find a way to work with this plant, which became very clear when I started looking to see what our culture here in America had done to this plant and the way that it was bringing it back into the light and decided that there was a real need for an important voice to, to represent um, what I believe to be the highest expression of this extraordinary, sacred, therapeutic plant. Well, uh, listening to your introductory comments, they were interesting because your statement of wanting to leave the world a little better place than you found it is exactly what my mission is. You know, it's like, I feel that if I can do anything in, in the world, I want to try to make it a better place, uh, not only than when I found it, but a safer place for the children because they're our future. And then your other comment that you, you were drawn to the cannabis plant and you said that a lot of women uh, seem to be drawn to it, uh, brought up a, 
a memory of when I was doing research years ago to write my book, uh, Under the Veil of Deception, What Uncle Sam Isn't Telling You About Organic Food and Organic Farming, I came across research showing that during the First and Second World War, while all the men were away fighting battles, the women took over the farms and they showed very good statistical evidence that crop production went up anywhere where women took over the farms. Mm. and the research basically suggested that because women are better nurturers, that the plants were responding much more favorably to the presence and energy of the female farmers than they were the male farmers. Wow. So uh, there might be some mother nurture involved. And, you know, we call Mother Earth, Mother Earth, not Father Earth. So Truly. I think there there's probably a resonant harmony with the psyche of women that's um, more in line with connecting to plants either consciously or unconsciously or intuitively than men may have in general. Mm. I hate to stereotype in this way because I, I love men and women equally, but mm -hmm. there is this sense in general that um, men have generally a more extractive philosophy and women have more of a nurturing um, or infusing philosophy, if you will. Um, and I think that, you know, we see that in the difference between, let's say, industrialized farming, which feels very male driven, uh, and something like biodynamic farming, which feels very nurture and nature driven. Yeah, that's true. But women also, even even the brain structures of women are much more oriented toward child raising and child Ooh. child nurture. And science shows that there's 30% more commissorial fibers connecting the left and right brain hemispheres in a woman than there is in a man, which means that a more developed co corpus callosum we have. <laughs> yeah, you have a lot more, a lot of things that has happened to turn out to be perfect for mothering and sensing where children are at and using your intuition. And, you know, so the re I tell men, don't try to lie or cheat on your women, woman because she's got a lot more processing <laughs> power. She's got a stronger sense of smell. Even after you've washed your, your girlfriend's uh, perfume off, she can still smell it. So oh, yeah. better, better be honest. But my point is that women really actually do. Now, certainly there are males that have uh, developed these capacities. And I, I have a great nurturing relationship with plants, but that's part of my spiritual practice. But I think in general, women are better designed for nurturing plants, probably and animals, than men as a general theme. Of course, there's going to be differences uh, from person to person. But uh, my next question is, cannabis has a long history of medical and healing uses. Could you overview the conditions cannabis has been beneficial in healing throughout antiquity and now? And as you're thinking of your answer, I'd like to if you could address not just physical ailments, but emotional, mental, and spiritual. Mm, mm, absolutely. Um, it certainly does. And, you know, along um, when I first started my company back in 2015, you know, we were under the medical um, proposition here in California. And so a lot of people would ask, you know, what is the difference? Oh, you're a medical cannabis supplier. And I would think to myself, that doesn't necessarily resonate. Um, while at the same time, we were also helping people, you know, guide their own healing journeys using this extraordinary plant to do things like shrink tumors and cure cancer and aid them in their battle with Lyme's disease. And I mean, you know, a myriad of other things. And so when I got that question, I finally realized it wasn't about medical or recreational. 
But the fact of the matter is that this plant is highly therapeutic. And you're exactly right. It's therapeutic on a level um, that touches upon the very physical body, um, the way that our neurological system interacts with its environment, which is obviously our mental body, and then you know more of our etheric body, which is the way that we connect to spirit um, and the feeling of something greater. And cannabis is this you know, truly, I think the mother and, and oftentimes, you know, called the mother of all adaptogens um, because she has the ability to interact with our body systems at all of these different communicative levels. Um, and it's, it's kind of primary purpose in our bodies is to help deepen that connection and communication between all of our regulatory systems. So it really does have the ability to um, in fact, create a greater holistic and uh, sense of homeostasis throughout the body in all of these different systems. I mean, that is her true power. Yes. So, uh, you know, there's there's a, a variety of things that I want to get into with you. Um, cannabis has deep roots as a plant used in sacred ceremony, meditative, and a variety of spiritual practices. I'm curious what your perspective is in this regard or any knowledge you have in that area? Mm, truly. Um, it is a sacred plant, right? THC is, is the, the magical molecule that allows us to um, access our, um, our deeper connection with spirit, with, with the greater you know, energies around us. It helps us to um, deepen our connection to our own self-awareness and self-knowing um, you know, THC in particular as the psychotropic molecule in the context of this very complex plant. Um, I believe that all of these therapeutic um, compounds, 480 plus of them, work in synergy to create um, and support the body through that journey, right? To support the effects of the THC and all of the profound things that it can do for us. But in the, you know, context of the sacred and then the, the divine, um, this idea that that this plant, when we take it into our bodies, creates an altered state, right? Somewhere where we can go deeper in exploration of self and the self in relation to the rest of the planet or the people around us. Um, you know, my husband always talks about, he doesn't use cannabis often, um, but when he does, he talks about this profound state of self-awareness that comes with it. And I think that that is, that's a beautiful thing in the context of the sacred and the divine is understanding our place in the universe, right? Yes. Um, you know, that brings up a question. There's a hell of a lot of people out there that believe that you cannot have a spiritual or religious experience on uh, any psychedelic, and marijuana is a psychedelic. Mm. I'm curious what your thoughts are. I mean, I've just heard what you said about your husband. I certainly have my own viewpoints, but as an expert in cannabis, what do you say to the people that deny that plant medicines like that are, are actually legitimate, uh, experiences and say that it's just a drug induced experience. Mm, yeah, that's, um, it's interesting. Um, you know, I'm a big believer that, um, I love you utilizing plants to access different spaces, um, and different, you know, perception of reality. Um, and I think anytime we can get out of, um, our own sort of rut of thinking, you know, the, the ways in which we're programmed by society and culture and rules. Um, anytime that we can sort of step outside of that and have a new perspective is ultimately what we're looking for in any sort of 
psychotropic or psychedelic or, you know, uh, altered state experience. Um, you know, alcohol is not that, right? Alcohol cuts us off from that reality and allows um, our inhibitions to run free, but it does not do what sacred plant medicine does, which is actually connect us more deeply um, to our own ability to get outside of those um, fundamental thinking processes, which for me is so incredibly important for the forward movement of, you know, more health and harmony for the planet and for the people on it, right? Is is for us to start thinking about things in a very different way than we do right now. Yes. You know, the uh, Einstein said you can't solve a, a problem with the same kind of thinking that created it. Exactly. And, and clearly we're, we're in a, a box. I mean, we keep repeating very, very bad behaviors such as burning fossil fuels and using outdated educational systems and banking systems and keep we, you know, a, lar- a large percentage of humanity is trapped in outdated religious myths and ideologies and think God's going to burn them in hell and all this sort of stuff. Mm. And most people have almost no knowledge of the use of psychedelics in all the world religions. And most people don't know that the word mana in the Bible actually refers to a mushroom. And, mm. and uh, so, you know, cannabis has been around very, very long. It's talked about, you know, in the Vedas and all sorts of places. But uh, yes. one of the things I share with people is that, first of all, the, by definition, a drug is anything that modulates the function of a cell. And I say, well, isn't it funny you have all this drug bias against cannabis and, and psychedelics, but you eat processed sugar, which Candace Pert should, said should be classified as a class one uh, drug because it's as addictive as morphine and heroin and there's yeah. volumes and volumes written on the destructive effects of sugar. Alcohol is known yeah. to to strengthen the ego and researchers say that the reason the government makes it legal and lets soldiers drink it is because it enhances nationalism, it enhances the ego and alcohol has long been called courage juice because people get yeah. the courage to act in ways that they wouldn't act in a normal state, such as picking fights with people and acting like complete idiots. But marijuana has the opposite effect. It helps dissolve the ego, create a sense of connection, more yeah. peace, more harmony, more love of music, rhythm, dance, art, poetry, singing. Uh, you know, you know. So it's it's just amazing to me how uh, the people that are against cannabis and plants like this need them the most. Absolutely. I I find myself saying that a lot these days, in fact. And, you know, touching on this this concept that you talked about um, of harmony, um, for me, that is sort of the definition of everything that I believe that cannabis has the ability to get us more in tune with. And I use that that idea, the notion of being in tune, um, resonant with, harmonized within. Um, For me, that is that drives. I think fundamentally everything that I know and to, to be true and to continue to experience through my own experience, as well as, you know, having the great pleasure and honor to work with lots of other people that are, you know, finding their own healing journeys through this plant is that when they find that resonance, when they find that harmony, that is where the magic and the healing begins to occur. Um, and, you know, folks that are using other things like alcohol or fundamental, you know, rigid, boxed-in thinking. Um, you're exactly right. They they need something to soften the edges and to to retune them. You know, to bring them more in alignment with truth and purpose of their own making, rather than someone else's. 
Hi, everybody. You know, as much as I love marijuana, CBD oil, and related products, as a therapist, I can assure you the grand majority of them are being used to medicate symptoms that would clear up with optimal organic nutrition. Examples are skin problems, joint pain, anxiety, depression, sleep problems, low sex drive, poor mental focus, poor energy levels, and much more. When it comes to finding high-quality organic nutrition that is easy to prepare, tastes great, and has high-quality fat sources, such as organic coconut, you can't beat Organifi's product line. My family, myself, many of my clients and athletes that I coach use them daily, and I know you and your children will benefit from them greatly. Go to Organifi.com, that's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com, and check out their amazing product line. To get your Living 4D with Paul Check discount at checkout, use the code capital C, capital H, capital E, capital K, 20. To get to know the author and founder of Organifi, listen to my podcast number 64, Drew Canoli, UBU. I think if you get to know the man and his values, you'll see why that the product is really high quality, tested, reliable, and worth investing the money in for your health. Enjoy. Well, interestingly, we've got a president who wants to build walls and start excluding people and segregating and going back to, you know, the typical ethnocentric way of relating in a world when we really need uh, a a complete dissolution of ethnocentric thinking. And we need to come together as a family because we've got problems that require all of us to participate in. So it seems yes. to me like uh, Donald Trump needs to get alcohol out of his house and get some really high-grade biodynamically grown pot in so he can wake up. Let's figure that out. Can we just like pump it into the White House or, you know? <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, <laughs> that would probably be helpful. Maybe a little LSD in the water supply. <laughs> little uh, <clears throat> micro, microdose mushrooms. <laughs> yeah, something. Let's just change his diet a little bit. Which, which leads into a point I wanted to share. You know, I get a lot of emails and calls from a lot of people all over the world that are having tremendous problems with suicidal thought, destructive, negative thinking, uh, mm. really dark stuff. And um, typically what I tell them to do first is to switch to organic food and get the processed food, the junk food out of their diet and get some high quality water in their diet and start sleeping uh, as much as they need, not staying up late at night and watching TV and playing video games and all that crap. And so far, Absolutely. every single person that's done that has got a hold of me. And within as little as four days of of go- switching to organic food and following those basic guidelines, most people say that it's a shock to them, but they don't have these negative suicidal dark thoughts anymore. Mm. And the point I'm driving at is every single food we eat is essentially can be broken down into chemicals and all chemicals interact with our cells. And when you look at current brain science, and when you look at the science on consciousness, one of the the key things that a lot of the top scientists say is that you should think of the brain as a two-way sending and receiving station. And if you look at Itzhak Bentov's book, Stalking the Wild Pendulum, he shows, he's got a diagram and they're showing the the perceptual range of human consciousness. And it goes all the way from minerals to to really the the zero point field. So we actually are designed through our body shape, 
are the geometry of the body and the DNA, which I see as a as a cosmic antenna system, mm. to tap into all these different frequencies. And one of the things that I feel from my own research on plant medicines is that plant medicines, particularly psychedelics, can upregulate us so that we can tap into other dimensions of consciousness that we aren't normally going to have access to, particularly if we're not eating well, uh, taking care of ourselves, or don't have a regular spiritual practice where we learn how to access these dimensions through uh, prayer, meditation, astral travel, Tai Chi. I'm a remote viewer and I do regular astral traveling and things like that. So you know, I, I have direct experience of, of the vast expanse of the universe. Mm. And, you know, many, many mystics have talked about the different dimensions and there's numerous comprehensive books written on it from a dimensional okay. perspective. And then the psychedelics also have the effect of break, uh, dis- you know, d- disabling the default mode network or the ego structure in the brain. So the unconscious can become more porous. And a lot of the stuff that we are um, unable to access when our egos too dominant start to bubble up. And so this Mm. makes plant medicines extremely good for healing because our shadow tendencies, our repressions, our fears, and even things that are being repressed because they're traumatic can come up in therapeutic sessions and, and be healed. So I really think that Plant medicines each have their own frequency range. You take uh, psilocybin and it taps you, it opens your frequency receptivity to a wider range because it basically carries a, a, a resonant vibration. And if you look at the science of sacred geometry, which is, are you familiar with, uh, son, excuse me, sonic geometry? Yes. Yes. So if you look at the molecules of each of the plants, for example, the psilocybin molecule is almost identical to the DMT molecule. So if you look at the sonic geometry of it, each of these um, molecules has a a molecular structure, which is a geometric structure, which means that they're producing a resonant sound or vibration. And when we come into sympathetic resonance by bringing a plant substance into our body, by the law of sympathetic resonance, we're going to tap into and have access to the levels of consciousness at that level. And I, I, I really feel this is a, 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 a very underreported, under conceptualized concept. And I think it brings up another point. We have a big problem with, with tons of marijuana being used by people that are not in spiritual practice, that are not eating well and living well and meeting the essential foundation for a holistic lifestyle. And I think that actually can create a problem because when you open the dimensions to higher levels of consciousness or other dimensions, but you're also trapped in the lower levels, you can get overwhelmed with so much um, conflicting information and and multiple streams of information. It can almost produce a schizophrenic effect. And I, mm. I see this happening in a lot of people. So how, what do you feel about the importance of maintaining a greater uh, connection to the earth and having a good solid diet and lifestyle foundation that's holistic and clean Mm. as a means of getting the benefits of these plant medicines versus just blasting the hell out of yourself with whatever you can get your hands on so you can escape the reality of your own responsibility. Yes. Oh my gosh, Paul, you've touched on so much. Um, The concept of trauma and 
it's a you know it, the function of trauma being an actual contraction right like that is in some you know studies the idea that any sort of trauma is an actual contraction of you know the mind body uh in response to something that was uncomfortable so you know cannabis being such a profound healer of trauma because it's prime you know its primary purpose is to help with expansion right? Which is the equal and opposite to the contraction, which is why um, we can get much deeper into this conversation in and of itself. But, uh, you know, why we're seeing such incredible uh, positive effect helping, you know, with war veterans and people with very severe PTSD uh, and that trauma and that contraction using this therapy as a way to help them find expansion in those places of contraction. Um, The same with, you know, sexual abuse survivors and um, all sorts of other, you know, really deep and, and awful trauma. We're seeing such profound effect with cannabis and, of course, with other psychedelics for the same reason. Um, you know, you talk about uh, people having this. Um, when I when I work with a with a new patient um, with this medicine, you know, I have IBS or I can't sleep or you know whatever it is uh, that they're that they're suffering from. We always talk about cannabis as a vehicle for helping to create greater homeostasis, which equals health in the body and in the mind. But first and foremost, I always ask, what is your diet like? What are these other things that you're doing to support health and homeostasis in your life? Because one thing can't <clears throat> can't be the cure-all, right? It always has to be looked at from a holistic systems perspective, mind, body, spirit. Cannabis can help on all of those levels. But if you're still exactly still at home eating you know, gluten and you're fundamentally, you know, not uh, able to tolerate gluten, then nothing we do with cannabis is ultimately going to help. We can alleviate symptoms, but we are not going to address the underlying problem. Um, And I know you know this better than anybody else. So, (laughs) well, you know, yes, I do. And of course, uh, our conversation is really to inform other people that may not know or may know some of it, but maybe we can spark ahas and encourage them to go research and look at things like sonic geometry and the function of molecules and what a drug really is. And, you know, there's an old saying too, in, in consciousness studies, uh, there's a great book called Streams of Wisdom by Dustin DiPerna, which is a very comprehensive uh, exploration into what consciousness is, the structure stages, how it's emerged over time and, and things like that. <clears throat> but one of the things that he highlights, he says, in paraphrase, he says, nobody having an enlightenment experience that's a Christian ever sees Buddha or Muhammad or anybody else. They always see Jesus. So one of, one of the things I'm bringing up that, you know, we, we also have to look at, at, at psychological detox because a lot of people are caught in these ancient Abrahamic mythological belief systems that God's going to burn you in hell. He's watching your every move. He knows whenever you touch your genitals. <laughs> And, you know, this, the, the concept of sin and shaming the body. And so my point that I'm driving at is when you, when you use a, a, a psychedelic plant like cannabis or any of the psychedelics and it opens up the unconscious, you're going to come face to face with a lot of the stuff that you're holding inside of you that is incongruent, you know, it's incongruent with the true laws of the universe. I, I believe God is unconditional love and therefore the ultimate expression of the divine is to 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 love and cherish and worship all living beings because ultimately they are expressions of the divine and each of us is unique 
there, there is you'll, no person will ever be here again with the same fingerprints, the same face, the same identity. So there's really nobody that can judge you because there's nobody to compare Alicia to. There's no one to compare mm-hmm. Paul to. So the point I'm driving at is what a lot of people call a bad trip is actually not realizing is that they're getting a chance to see what they're containing in their psyche that is bringing them out of harmony with the universe and with reality itself. Absolutely. And if I can, um, if I can sort of succinctly try to, try to, try to put this together, um, you've mentioned this in a couple of different contexts, right? People that are out of alignment with their place here, and then they take these, um, very strong versions of these drugs, right? Um, and, and then it pushes them even further out of alignment. And there's so many examples that I have, um, where people are doing this and, in, interestingly, the way that the industrialized and commodi- newly commoditized market and you know newly venture capital-backed market of cannabis, of course, is unfolding right now, is in a way that is completely in alignment with that misalignment. Yes, um, exactly. Meaning that we are focused on quality of this plant in the context of how quickly we can produce it, extract it, and how much potency we can get out of it. And so we're finding that when we, we as humans take these, this plant matter into our body, we're seeing increased, you know, um, bouts of psychosis. We're seeing, um, you know, the, the increase of these kind of, um, health problems, especially in the mental realm. Um, you know, and people are blaming, blaming the plant and saying, oh, the plant must be bad. When in fact, what we're doing to the plant by highly concentrating it and forcing it out of its natural balance and then bringing that imbalance into our bodies is only going to create more imbalance. And oftentimes when people come to me and they say, oh, I can't, I can't use cannabis. It makes me paranoid. Um, I know fundamentally, uh, and you know, after talking with thousands of people now over the last five years of, of being, you know, very, um, intimately involved in people's lives, uh, specifically around this plant, that the paranoia does not come from a biodynamic whole flower cannabis. No, it um, doesn't. I agree. Experience. It comes from, you know, vaping a distillate or taking too much of an edible or smoking something that was grown indoors. Every single time there is some correlation of a negative experience with this plant based on the way that it was cultivated and then given to someone. And, and then they're taking that imbalance in. Uh, and that's, you know, it's a huge, huge um, sort of mission for me right now is for people to understand that what we're seeing in cannabis today is not cannabis in, a, in its highest expression and therefore fundamentally out of balance with its highest purpose. Um, and so that is that is what Herba Buena is for me as a voice to to help sort of realign our thinking around sacred plant medicine and cannabis in particular to understand what its highest expression is and how we can use it to create greater balance. Yes, I teach a principle called your health echo. E C H O. E stands for energy, C stands for chemistry, H stands for hydration or water. And O stands for organisms and organics, the organisms you eat. And what I teach my students is that we have an intimate relationship with our environment. So if we poison the environment with farming chemicals and chemtrails and, and 
uh, lead and exhaust gases and all the other stuff, we breathe that in, we ingest that, and it comes in on the plants, and then it does to us what we're doing to it, the environment. And so anything that we do that disrupts our chemistry, EC, energy chemistry, and the chemistry of our body has a huge influence on our energy. And that's what our etheric field is. Steiner describes the etheric field as the energy field created by the interaction of the chemical interactions within our body. And it creates a standing waveform, which is what is supposed to inform the cells. So the cells are actually using the etheric field to talk to each other like an internet. But if we fill our bodies full of poison, well, we switch to the dark channels Absolutely. and we experience that. So we have energy. So the food that we're supposed to eat is vital and full of life force energy. Um, but commercially raised food and cannabis does not carry energy that is congruent and harmonious with our bodies and produces exactly. problems. It disrupts our chemistry. And it's if it's grown, like a lot of the hydroponics and fast grow chemicals are using all sorts of stuff that's not regulated by e- EPA or farming associations. And they're using all sorts of trickery to make these plants do all sorts of chemical things, rapid grow, as you know, and that the water has an infinite capacity to carry information. Yes. So when we're we're bringing the cannabis, if you vaporize a plant, you're taking the water molecules out of the plant that carry not only the chemical memory, but the emotional and and. And the, and the energy and the emotions of the plant as a living being. So it's like eating a traumatized animal. It's going to be full yeah. of adrenaline and you're going to find that yourself flooded with fear and you won't know why it's happening and they'll put you on anxiety drugs. Yes. So uh, we've got, and then we have to realize it's a living organism and we're consuming it. So there's, there's a lot of like really, you know, what we're doing to the, cannabis industry is exactly what we've done to the food industry. And the other concept is holism. If you take a a molecule, if you go down to a single cell of cannabis, it'll be an intact living organism, just like a single cell of our body is. But anytime you divide the cell beyond its single celled mechanism, you're now disabling the waveform that it communicates at with the morphogenic field or the information field at which the consciousness of the cannabis and its own informative experiences are at. And that's well described by Rupert Sheldrake as the morphic field. So you could call it the the minefield of the plant of cannabis. Uh, An example would be in, in the Aboriginal culture, they say you can kill the kangaroo, but you can never kill kangaroo dreaming. What they're, mm. what they're saying is if you killed every kangaroo in Australia, you can't kill the idea of the kangaroo because it's mm. part of Mother Earth's consciousness and kangaroos will reemerge without anybody knowing how it happened because it's the dream of the world. So we can- That's so beautiful. <laughs> yeah. So what I'm saying is when you take a structure beyond its capacity for holism, you're no longer able to tap into the the holistic consciousness of that living organism. And now you're getting some convoluted derivated uh, message, which which, whatever you can get from the molecule, which may or may not be congruent with your physiological, emotional, mental, or or, or spiritual needs and could be, and and we can see the same thing with sugar, right? You take, 
you take you know the sugar and condense it out of the beet or the sugar cane and what was a food now becomes a poison and it's no longer holistic we've broken it down into a dangerous drug so these are things that really concern me hi everybody have you ever wondered how it is that in the world right now, there's over 5,000 diet books on the right diet, yet we're the sickest, most obese people that ever lived on this planet? That's because the people that write diet books are always assuming that what worked for them will work for everyone else. But clearly, that isn't true. When you attend my Holistic Lifestyle Coach Level 1 course online, which is designed for anyone from 12-year-olds to the elderly, you'll learn exactly how to find the right diet for you. I think you're going to be amazed when you learn the real truth about soy, protein powders, and all sorts of food items pawned off as good for you by the food processing companies. You'll also learn the essentials of how to use movement, how to do my unique, powerful, and simple work-in exercises to add more energy and vitality to your body-mind every day. I co-teach this course with nutritionist and shaman Angie Check, and I think you'll love the feminine touch she brings to your learning experience. You can get this online now at chekinstitute.com forward slash HLC1 online. Listeners of Living 4D will receive, wait for it, $100 off by using the code L4DHLC on checkout, no caps. That's L4DHLC, all lowercase. This is sure to be the best investment you've ever made in yourself or your family. And as always, we'd love your feedback. Enjoy. I was just, there's a couple more points I'll, I'll toss at you and let you expand on them. One, the paranoia, I think, uh, can also be the trauma of the plant because it's being uh, produced in un- inhumane uh, environments and the chemicals they're using trigger off all sorts of anxiety and depression and suicidal thoughts. And I've had people give me marijuana and I took one puff of it and went, oh my God, this is just garbage. I can feel immediately what it does to my body because I'm highly yes. tuned. Yes. Another thing too that we haven't talked about, which I think is very important, is people don't realize that plants are not designed to grow in strobe lights. And no. when I smoke something or vaporize it that's been grown in a light uh, a grow light environment my whole body starts to oscillate and vibrate at the at that frequency at that frequency it feels like i'm being electrocuted and i say to my yeah. i say to people around me don't you feel that like if i'm with a bunch of people that handed me a smoke i go that was grown indoors wasn't it yeah why because don't you feel the the oscillation of the frequency and it's in your body cells are not designed to run on, you know, 110 cycles a minute or 120 cycles a minute. So it's like being electrocuted and it really creates a lot of anxiousness in the system because it's like somebody zapping you with a cattle prod. Absolutely. Paul, it's been so nice to meet you because you know, I feel like I'm the only the only voice in the world that was saying these things for so long. And there are so few of us that are speaking in these terms. And I mean, what a pleasure to be able to speak with someone who feels and understands that as intuitively as I have. Um, people normally look at me like I'm crazy when I say the exact same thing. And yet fundamentally, it is true. Um, you know, this idea that the frequency that the plants are subjected to is absolutely something that we then take into our bodies. And we, you know, identify with that frequency. And so 
if I, you know, sometimes even, even today, although I generally try not to have other people's cannabis, um, you know, out of niceties, I often will take, you know, a small hit or a dropper full or whatever it is that someone's passing me just to try. And there's a frenetic and angular component to plants that are grown in anything other than a, you know, seed, soil, sun, and full season um, growth cycle. Um, So it doesn't matter if it's quote unquote organic. It doesn't matter if um, you only did two cycles for the year instead of one, uh, or if you're using soil in your indoor farming or special LEDs that are meant to, you know, mimic the, the sun itself, because you cannot replace the, the fundamental value of a plant and its natural biorhythmic tendency to grow in alignment with nature. Anything that you're doing to bring it out of alignment with nature is going to affect the way that the plant feels and the, therefore the way that it makes you feel. And, you know, this frenetic energy is oftentimes what I think people feel about paranoia and this angular sort of almost discomfort that I feel is what a lot of people associate with being high. Um, But just being high does not mean feeling better. And that's something that I think we really need to get across to people in the context of cannabis specifically is cannabis is absolutely here to make us feel better, period. Um, It is that is its highest purpose and function and everything that we do to cultivate it and extract it and use it in the human body needs to be in alignment with its holistic purpose and function. And anytime that we're taking it out of that, we're going to have a negative consequence. And we're seeing that happen already. You know, um, some people are certainly more tuned in and more aware of it. But, you know, there's no accounting for folks that are still eating at McDonald's, you know, and, and at the same time smoking distillate. Um, you know, that is that is a choice and something that, um, you know, I can't and you can't stop. But what we can do is inform people of the alternative um, and it was interesting when you said um, uh, something related to sugar beets reminded me that I often speak about this 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 distillate, right? This this um, this singular singular molecule that we pull out of this highly complex plant, one of the most complex plants on the face of the planet, with over four hundred and eighty identified therapeutic compounds, all of which are meant to be able to be developed and ripened over the course of a full natural growing season into its ripest and fullest therapeutic potential, when you then isolate a single molecule out of that structure, of course, it's not going to have the intended consequence, right? And so I often refer to distillate as the corn syrup of our industry, and that you take something that is holistic, like corn, and that is actually a food, and you extract a single component out of that. And not only does it no longer hold therapeutic or health value, it actually, you know, it has the opposite, right? It has detrimental effect to our health. And so I'm so glad that you brought that up. Well, there's a couple things I'd like to share in regards to what you've just shared. I'm writing notes as you go, so I don't interrupt you. Um, One, I'll start with, if you look at Steiner's teachings on biodynamic farming, you look at the teachings of permaculture and you look at basic just studies of nature and biology, nowhere in nature do plants grow by themselves as monocultures. Right. So when we start taking plants and putting them in grow houses and there's nothing but marijuana all in pots where their roots don't connect so they can talk to each other, 
where they're grown in the conditions we've talked about that are completely unnatural. It's highly stressful to the plant. They're being zapped by uh, lights at very high frequencies. The water molecules retain those frequencies. So when you bring the water molecules into your body, it's literally bringing in the the um, the water molecules are actually resonating at those frequencies. So it's yes. like you're drinking electricity or smoking electricity. Yes. And the point I'm getting at with this particular comment is there's great research out there showing plants communicate with each other. There's a lady named Monica Gagliano who I'm going to be interviewing soon. And my buddy Matt Walden interviewed her on his podcast. Um, and she's an expert in plant consciousness and have done all sorts of research. And for example, she showed for the first time that corn plants communicate by making sounds and she used high powered microphones and their their roots actually make little clicking sounds almost like morris code and they talk to each other about where the food is and where they go and you know steiner and and others have shown us that and in current science they've used radio markers in plants they've shown that uh douglas firs and trees protect their young i've seen time lapse video how a, tr a large tree with a uh, that's mothering her young will actually over time push the branches of the other surrounding trees out of the way so the sunlight can reach the forest floor. So what I'm saying is, you know, we have this idea that plants are just you know objects; they're not living beings. Yes. But when we take a plant out of its living community, it's kind of like putting a human being in isolation in prison. Absolutely. You know. So we're raising mm. these plants that are very, very disconnected. It would be like, you know, like when Trump started uh, confiscating children at the border and taking them yeah. from their parents and just locking them in cages and stuff. Yes. So when we, what, what we, you know, people that are so disconnected and see everything as material objects don't realize that when we raise plants, like we put chickens in boxes and cows in boxes and they live in, in, in their shit and they're pissed their entire life. There's no question that's going to be a depressed, scared animal that doesn't know what the hell is going on. And we've, we've, we're so disconnected with the natural love and respect and understanding that peasant farmers, you know, in the Bible, it says the meek shall inherit the earth. Well, no wonder they're going to be the only ones that know what to do with it when it's dead. <laughs> exactly. You know, so I'm just saying that we have to remember that plants live in communities that are very, very complex and they share yeah. resources. They support each other. The fungus has an incredible relationship with the plants that I won't go into because it's too much, but I've covered that yes. in, in my <laughs> teachings. So we have to be conscious that we are now creating an industry that's as bad as, as uh, commercially farming cows, chickens, animals, and, and yes. destroying the soils. And paradoxically, while we're saying, well, 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 people are, you know, medical journals and saying, oh, marijuana has all these benefits. They don't realize that those benefits really only can be given to you when the plant that you're getting them from has been treated in a way that it has love and harmony within it to share, or you're just exactly. consuming sick beings with sick bodies, which make for crooked molecules. Yes. Very much so. And interestingly enough, you know, you talk about the monoculture, um, you know, what happened when California passed legalization, and I, it's happened in other states as well, um, for cannabis, uh, of course, you know, the venture capital backed 
uh, industry that was informed by a misguided black market who, you know, rewarded quality or quantity over quality, you know, that was obviously perpetuated in the exact same way by an industry that is venture capital that also rewards, you know, um, fast growth and immediate extraction um, as, as sort of the identifier of quality, right? And so we've We've started something, you know, a definition of quality that was um, was guided by people that were scared and afraid of being arrested and all of those other things. And now we've perpetuated it with the influx of, you know, venture capital. And so what happened um, is, of course, you know, the faster you could grow the plant and the more you could grow it, the better. And so everybody set up these massive cultivation projects, acres and acres of cannabis all throughout California in these monoculture settings in these very old school black market growing methodologies, um, which was get that plant to the highest potency as quickly as possible and harvest it and get rid of it as quickly as possible. And what happened is the vast majority of those plants were grown in a way that was so fundamentally out of balance with their nature that of course they were susceptible to disease. And so not only were they being fertilized and, you know, all, you know, amended and, God knows what was put on them, but they were so out of balance and so lacking health in and of themselves in that context of this monoculture and of this forced nature that they, you know, got terrible mites and all sorts of new mite outbreaks began and, you know, all sorts of diseases that we had never seen in the cannabis plant began. And so to remediate that, because, you know, now, now you have to spray something on your plants that's going to get rid of the mites, or you're going to lose your hundred thousand dollars that you were going to get from that crop or more. And so as they applied all of these things, what happened is they harvested it and sent it off for testing through the Bureau of Cannabis Control. And of course, none of it could pass testing because they had, you know, put all of this garbage, petrochemicals, and God knows what else on top of these plants. The only choice that they had to save their almighty dollar was to remediate this biomass that was contaminated by turning it into distillate. Oh, how great. So we're, we're taking something that is bad and remediating it solely for the purpose of financial gain with something that is detrimental to our health, that no one is talking about, that distillate is bad. Not a single person other than me at this point have I heard speaking about the fact that, you know, this, this distillate and isolate is, is not good for us. Yes, you and know, they, actually a byproduct. they do the same thing with, with uh, wheat. They, uh, you know... Often they have to spray wheat. We have this massive, massive uh, over uh, amount. We have an over um, storage, over abundance of of gluten containing grains, wheat, barley, oats, things like that. And they store them in these huge warehouses and silos. And I've seen reports saying they have to spray them often with chemical pesticides as many as 10 to 12 times before they actually end up at a a food processing company to become bread and cereals and other things like that. Yes. But when they when they test these uh, grains for for fungal mycotoxins, if they are rejected as food quality, guess what they do with them? I don't know. <laughs> they they sell them to the farmers as animal feed, and the an- animals eat them which gives them serious fungal infections, which requires lots of antibiotics, which makes them sick which yes. causes the body of the animal to produce lots of fats to keep the mycotoxins from the uh, organs, brain, and glands, which makes the animals fatter faster, which 
because they don't do body fat checks on animals when they sell them, they end up making a lot more money because they sell animals by weight, not by yes. uh, uh, fat versus uh, meat. So yes. they take this toxic grain and turn it into a profitable enterprise by making the animals sick, even though anybody that's got any understanding of biology knows that those grains should be burned. They shouldn't be fed to anything yes. because they're they're loaded with uh, fungal mycotoxins. And fungal mycotoxins are some of the most poisonous chemicals ever uh tested by man. They're used in biological warfare. Yes. I've seen research showing that one tiny drop of fungal mycotoxin on a rat's body will kill it instantly. Wow. That's crazy. I believe it. So there's a few things I wrote down. You know, you're talking about isolates, which makes me want to share something with you and the audience to help them understand this. Are you familiar with Royal Lee? No. Okay. Royal Lee is the founder of Standard Process Labs. He was very much a pioneer like Weston A. Price. He was a dentist. He was a genius inventor. Uh, when he was in the military, he invented uh, you know, very high-tech systems for, um, for the gunners in aircraft to track oh. enemy uh, planes and stuff like that. But when he got out of the military, he took his money and, and did a lot of research in nutrition and uh, his writings very, very much parallel Weston A. Price. But what Royal Lee showed, he said, there's no such thing as a vitamin isolate in nature. Vitamins mm -hmm. only occur in complexes. Yes. So to give an analogy, he says, what part of a watch tells time? Well, mm. the whole thing. I love that. If you take any part of a watch out, it won't work. Yes. Every piece interacts with every other piece. So what he showed is that all vitamins work in complexes that, can, that include the vitamin itself, enzymes, minerals, trace minerals, fats, proteins, carbohydrate molecules, phenolics, terpenes, and alkaloids. And what he showed that what I'm leading to, if you take any vitamin isolate, your body has to rebuild the complex in order to use the vitamin. And what people don't realize is when they're going to the GNC and taking all these isolate vitamins, that they're actually solving one problem, say night blindness by taking B6, but it depletes their body of all the other elements that the body had to use to activate the complex. So they end up with a whole string of other problems which turns out to be very profitable because people go from night blindness to dry skin to vaginal dryness to uh, split ends in their hair to their fingernails cracking. So there's this, this whole sort of uh, breakdown in the system and those things become toxic to the body because if the body can't use them, then if the body can't use something, it has to eliminate it as a toxin. Yes. So when we start doing that to marijuana, we're going to run into the same damn problems and people don't realize that if you're using isolates, you have to be very, very careful because the body has to activate that in a complex in the body. And that could lead you to solving one problem and causing one or more others in a knock-on reaction. Which is the, I mean, the absolute basis of the entire pharmaceutical industry. <laughs> yes. Indeed. Hi, everyone. You know, I spent a year researching all sorts of certified organic CBD oil and hemp oil products, trying to find one good enough to use regularly and to help me heal the neck pain I have from a stunt lifting accident many years ago and to help me recover from training. 
Though I tested about a dozen different companies' products, none of them impressed me enough to want to share them with you. Then, my buddy Kyle Kingsbury turned me on to his favorite company, One Farm, and my family and I gave their products a try. I've been using their water-soluble USDA-certified organic hemp extract for a month now and found it to be incredibly pure. I can feel the energetic effects of it immediately when I put it in my mouth, and it has been one of the best sources of pain relief and recovery aid I've found yet. They make their water-soluble hemp extracts in a variety of concentrations, offer them in edible forms, and have many other great products that you'll love as well. As a sponsor of Living 4D with Paul Check, One Farm generously offers all of you a 15% discount on any purchase by going to https colon forward slash forward slash onefarm.com forward slash check. No discount code is needed. Just follow the link. You'll know you're there because you'll see pictures of me and some of my podcasts featured there, and your 15% coupon code will be automatically added to your order. Have a look at their wide range of excellent CBD oils, beauty products, edibles, and more. As always, One Farm and I would love to hear any feedback you and your pets have and would like to share. And you can trust me, I wouldn't be sharing this stuff with you if I wasn't really convinced that this was the very best product I can get out there. And I did test a lot of them. So enjoy. There's a couple of other things I wanted to ask you about. Um... One is, I studied the work of Julia Ross. Uh, she wrote the book, The Diet Cure. She wrote another mm. one called The Mood Cure. Yep. And, she, and she actually does a lot of work uh, in her clinic with addictions. And I studied her work on marijuana. One of the things she brought up I'd like to share with you and the listeners and get your your thoughts on, she showed in her research that the THC molecule takes about three weeks to clear from its docking site on the cell and that the THC molecule actually uh, docks on receptor sites that are used for many other, other hormones that are mood regulating hormones and that people can actually get themselves into serious states of emotional imbalance because their biochemistry cannot interact with the cells and so she said one of the big things that you have to be concerned about with marijuana is is basically clogging the receptor sites in the cells. And I've had, you know, may, I work with a lot of elite athletes that use marijuana to manage pain. And in yeah. many cases I've had after about a year or two of chronic use of marijuana, they start having all sorts of relationship problems with wife and family members and friends and coaches and they really develop sort of a, a, a manic depressive up and down. They're up if they're smoking the pot or using it and down like down, down, down when they're not. And they become very hard to get along with. And they themselves recognize it. I've had, I've had them come to me and go, what the hell's going on with me, man? Right. I'm, I, can't, I can't even live with myself. I'm curious, uh, what's your awareness of this? Uh, what's your thoughts about that? And do you have any suggestions uh, other than maybe rotating? Yes. Um, well, you know, there is thing, such a thing in the industry is called, you know, D, uh, THC sort of detox, right? And yes. so for people that are that are taking, you know, high quantities of very potent THC medicine, be it in flower or tincture or edible form, um, that that there is a point at which you do start to feel like your tolerance has gotten too high or that it's starting to affect you know, your mood or your, or your sort of, you know, understanding of self. And 
I would, I've never had to do that thus far. Um, and I would argue that it's back to our original point, which is where is that THC or where is that cannabis coming from? And because the vast majority of cannabis that we have access to, both through the, we call it now the traditional market, not the black market, um, through the traditional market, as well as through the highly regulated market now, um, the vast majority of products are grown out of alignment with the plant and all of the you know things that we've talked about thus far today. Uh, and I would caution us to think about the fact that it may actually, again, not be the fact that our body is unable to clear the THC from the receptor site, but that we are taking plants that are um, so are taking products that are so high in THC and so low in the other 479 compounds that we're doing a total disservice to the function of the plant within the body. And so I would caution us to not talk about it in the context of what THC does, um, because I think that we're using bad products to begin with, even with your elite athletes. I mean, I mean, Dean Ornish, uh, I had a conversation with him not so long ago and, you know, found out that he was using cannabis from a company that I know to be growing things in the worst possible way. Um, you know, and so I think within the context of this newly emerging marketplace, education is paramount because even people that know that, you know, know about health and wellness and to a very high degree, aren't thinking about it in the context of this plant medicine. And so I would say that, you know, yes, do a detox if people are using high doses of, you know, sun, uh, sorry, uh, light depth or indoor or highly extracted, you know, using hydrocarbons and all kinds of other crap products, um, but that it should not be necessary if we are using what is truly whole plant medicine sourced from happy plants. Um, so that's the, that's how I would answer that. I would also just, and not to interrupt, but to say that the one sort of um, contraindicated use of cannabis is related to CBD. Um, because CBD is so bioavailable in those receptor sites, in particular in the liver and other uh, organs associated with the liver, um, that it can actually block uh, the absorption of other vital things, right? So if people are on life-saving pharmaceuticals, types of medications that are actually keeping them alive, um, that they should not be on CBD because CBD is so highly bioavailable. But when you're taking CBD in these highly isolated and isolated forms, as well as just in an elevated quantity in a particular product, that it's the same function, right? You're not getting the benefit of the whole plant. Rather, you're trying to solve your problem with a single molecule, which we've talked about is not good. <laughs> yeah. A couple of things come to my mind to share for the audience and, and maybe for you to think about and maybe respond to. Are you familiar with the book Biochemical Individuality by Roger Williams, PhD? No, but it sounds like I should be. I think it'll blow your socks off. What what he shows in there is there's a wide, wide range of biochemi biochemical individuality and structure. For example, he shows in his analysis of human beings, he identified 19 different sizes and shapes of stomachs alone. Wow. Basically, the rule I tell my students, you're as different on the inside as you are on the outside. And then I say, look around the room. Do you see anyone that looks just like you? No. Do you see people look a lot different than you? Yes. Then you look at um, Byron Robinson, MD, did research on the entron, which is uh, measuring uh, the, the gut tube from mouth to anus. Mm. And uh, in, I think, something like 650 dissections, he looked at people all over the world because he wanted to see 
did their bodies adapt to long-term diets? In other words, if they were in regions where there wasn't much animal food and they can only survive on plant food, in which the protein is trapped in fiber, would their bodies adapt to make their intestinal tract longer so it had a, a more of a chance of, of uh, pulling the protein out of fiber? You know, cows have five mm. stomachs, so they can ferment, mm. so they can ferment protein out of fiber. And what he found, believe it or not, was wild. It was a hundred percent difference in the lengths of people's intestinal tracts from mouth to anus. And he found, lo and behold, in regions where people ate largely plants due to lack of meat availability, their entron mouth to anus could be as long as 42 feet. And in in regions like um, the Inuit that live on about 90% flesh foods, their entron was as short as 21 feet. Wow. The point I'm driving at here is that there's a lot of biochemical individuality. And in his book, he shows that within the same family, right at the same dinner table, there could be a 1,000% difference in their ability to clear any chemicals such as alcohol or caffeine, regardless of whether they were healthy or not, meaning it's just a a unique variation in their um, cytochrome P48, P450 pathways in the liver and how well they can uh, uh, detoxify. And when we're looking at the body, we're talking about a homeostatic regulatory mechanism. Our physiology is working on its own set levels of homeostasis. So if we're bringing up THC molecules past the point at which the body perceives as homeostatic, uh, homeostatic, it's going to begin to detox. We will, every vitamin you eat more than you need, you have to detoxify it. Yeah. So a vitamin actually becomes a drug or a toxin to a body in high levels. And what a lot of people don't realize is their piss and their poop is very expensive and they're wasting a lot of it. Yes. So the point I'm driving at with the toxicity and the clogging of the receptor sites, it may not necessarily be a case of the THC molecule being the bad guy. But when we look at uh, the individuality and the rate of detoxification and most people don't have a conscious awareness of when they're stepping across their homeostatic threshold because they don't even know what it is. Exactly. And two, when you look at how toxic most people are today, uh, whether the THC molecule is good or bad, if they cross the homeostatic threshold and their body's already backed up, the THC is going to build up in their body to potentially dangerously high levels, just like any other chemical does. Exactly. So it, it, it I, I think my point here is we have to look at this as an individual issue and we have to look at the global health diet and the energy chemistry, hydration and organisms being consumed and look at how that plays out with the person's health, well-being. And because so many people are using uh, cannabis products because of ill health, And most of them, I mean, look, 96% of all the food eaten in the world is commercially farmed poisonous garbage. Most of the water drinking is toxic. Most people don't even drink water. They they drink alcohol, coffee, tea, and crap juice and stuff like that. So we're, we're really dealing with a very complex issue when we start bringing any plant medicine that's isolated as we're talking about or any molecule without considering the overall well-being of the individual. And one of my concerns is that the marijuana industry is now becoming um, an allopathic drug industry, which threatens our health to the same degree it could benefit our health if it was used with holistic awareness. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, 
It was interesting when I when I was looking for a standard by which to bring cannabis into the light, which is sort of the only way I can think about it in its highest expression. It was it was it was as if it had already been written that I was going to be working with biodynamic farmers and really no one else because biodynamic farmers, of course, are most concerned with um, at the very tippy top of their sort of philosophical thinking. Um, most concerned with creating homeostasis and balance within the context of their farm ecosystem. And there's, yes, there's no question biodynamic farming is the most advanced farming system in the world. And if you go to the British Soil Association, you can find investigations into the food quality and nutritional density and biodynamic farming is better than organic farming hands down. Hands down. Um, and so, you know, you'll, you of course also have heard this term that you know, sort of the summary of what biodynamic farming is, is a healing practice for the earth. And what a beautiful sentiment that is. And it encapsulates everything that sort of goes into the philosophy and practice of the biodynamic farmer is a healing practice. And, you know, what better way to cultivate a healing herb and food, of course, which is also very healing, um, than through a healing practice in and of itself, right? And that fundamental healing practice is absolutely based on this concept of biodiversity and and balance within the concept of an ecosystem, be it the farm, be it the planet, be it the human body. Um, and so, you know, I, I do attribute that to the fact that I do consume cannabis every day. You know, one would hope as the owner of a cannabis company that that's true, but that I only consume my own cannabis every day. And, and therefore, I believe that I've achieved greater health and homeostasis and greater harmony in my life because of the type of cannabis that I'm using, which is informed by the way that it's cultivated and extracted and the way that I take it into my body in a sacred manner. I also don't sit down and smoke four joints a day, right? That would, right. Be, yes, that would be more than I would need. I have a couple of puffs, you know, or maybe just a little tincture one day or, but there's, an interesting thing about herbs and food um, that, that you brought up that I wanted to speak to, I'll often, um, you know, have these, I, I host these tasting events, right, where people can actually sit down with me and we can talk about all of these incredible things. And I can, I can let them discover this plant medicine in, in this very informed and guided way. And one of the things that I find is that people will often wince or wrinkle up their nose or something when they're tasting a tincture that is made out of an infused plant because it tastes like cannabis, right? Uh -huh. And they're like, ooh, I don't like the flavor of that, right? And it's really interesting to me because they don't like the bitter, which is what, what they're saying they actually don't like. And we as Americans, of course, are very tuned into sweet uh, versus bitter or sour. Um, and so getting them to, to sort of relate to this plant medicine in a way that they're actually taking it into their body based on their initial physiological response. So when a when an herb or when they take a when they take a cannabis tincture that doesn't taste like cannabis, they're not getting that immediate sort of biofeedback of what that plant is doing for them. And that is I think a fundamental also a fundamental missing piece about sort of the western diet, you know, where everything tastes bland and salty and simple. Um, you know, versus bitter and sweet and all of the other magical flavors that we have. I think the same is true with this, with the cannabis industry and the influx of products that don't taste like cannabis. Um, I make a lot of tinctures that have cannabis and also, you know, harm, harmonious um, and synergistic other herbs. 
uh, that I feel have, you know, harmonics with that particular strain or cannabis plant. And oftentimes they are very bitter, things like, you know, holy basil or go-to cola or kava, things like that. But the fact of the matter is when you first put that in your mouth, it's the initial signal to your body that that, that plant is there to do a job, right? And so um, if you shy away from it, you need to first assess whether or not it's just the bitter flavor that you're shying away from, or if your body is having an actual negative response to that particular plant matter. And the most profound um, sort of aha moment that I get from people within that particular context when we're sitting around and, and getting to explore this plant together is I'll line up, you know, five, six, seven, eight strains of cannabis flower for them. And I'll encourage them to smell deeply and experience not only the scent of that flower, but the energy of that flower when they come into contact with it. And they will, by the end of that, be very drawn to one or two of those plants. And it will every single time be the plant medicine that they need, right? So the thing that you are drawn to is the thing that your body is, is most craving. And for us to be able to tune into that, we can do that in such a better way. Our senses become so heightened and so honed when we, when we use cannabis that we can actually get in tune with what our bodies actually need in a very profound way. Well, yes, there's a few comments I have to share there. One, the olfactory nerve is the only uh, cranial nerve that's monosynaptic. It only goes through one synapse and it's directly in your brain. Mm. All the other uh, cranial nerves and nerves in the body have a, a, a potentially large number of synapses before the information gets to the brain. Um, I've got a great book in my library you might find fascinating called The Scented Ape. I don't remember the author's name, but if you're interested, I can get it to you. But it's very, very deep into the uh, science and research on the sense of smell and essential oils and how they work and why they work. Um, but the the point is, is that um, our sense of smell is so essential for our survival and our sense of what's in the environment that the body developed a monosynaptic junction because we used to, you know, plants have defense chemicals of them. They can Ooh. kill you. So, uh, you know, our body's sense of smell is highly, highly tuned. And I do exactly what you just described. And I encourage all my students and people to do that as well. I say, before you smoke it or eat it, smell it. And pay attention to how you feel inside. Pay attention to what your mind does. Does your mind get dull, cloggy? Do you feel heavy in your body? Do you feel anxious? And if you don't feel the way you feel after smelling it, by God, don't smoke it or eat it. Yep. Um, you know, there's a couple things. Hippocrates said food is man's first medicine. And so yes. we we need to remember that food is is a whole product. It's not an isolate product. And the quality of our food determines the quality of our health. And, you know, you're people like you and I are healthy bodies with good detoxification systems. So we don't need nearly as much, uh, you know, like you say, you smoke a few puffs or whatever. But I mean, I know people that are just smoking joints all day long. And so that goes kind of back to this issue of homeostasis. If you're if you're smoking, the more pot you smoke, the more you adapt to it. So the more of the all the molecules in the plant you're bringing in, which means you're highly likely to bring it to toxic levels in your body yeah. just to get a psychological state that is harder and harder to get to because of adaptation. And I think that's something people really need to be careful with. 
And there's other plants like you could, you know, you could rotate, for example, marijuana with wild dogga or a number of other plants that have marijuana-like effects but aren't using the THC molecule. And oftentimes it's the ritual that I find that's as um, soothing and and important. Uh, for example, when I when I look at people with caffeine addictions, most of them are addicted to going to the coffee shop because either it's a place where they meet friends or they have time to get away from the kids and the busyness and read something they want to read. And I found that if you take the ritual out when you're trying to get somebody off of an addictive substance like coffee or tea, then it makes it much harder for them to get off of it. But if you just change what's in the cup, but maintain the ritual, then they, the person actually doesn't lose that sense of connection that they need, that they have ritualized point, point being, you know, if, if marijuana users would look at the ritual and say, what else can I use that will give me that sense of connection, that sense of freedom, time for myself, or a state shift? I mean, my God, even nutmeg is a psychedelic. You can grind up some nutmeg and and go for it. There's lots of ways to create state shifts that are are um, not only safe but put you into a rotation diet concept. Yes. And you know, on a rotation diet, you need each you need to use at least a four day cycle because a molecule typically takes seventy two hours to get from mouth to anus and it's active in the body as long as it's in the body. So if we use a four day rotation cycle, most people will actually have 24 hours where the immune system's not sensitized to the molecule. So one of the ways I approach this with people is I help them rotate, be it uh, alcoholic beverages or, or uh, substances that will create a kind of a marijuana type effect so I think these are concepts that most people aren't thinking about, and they only think about when they're in deep trouble and come to somebody like me and have to pay a lot of money to, to solve the riddle. Yes. Hi, everybody. I'm super excited to share an amazing product called Nexus from Symbiotica. This is an excellent product that I use to help control inflammation. It induces a state of mental calm and clarity whenever I use it. And I know it will do the same for you. I particularly like it when I come home from work after an intense day of coaching clients through challenging problems. And as you can imagine, I deal with some pretty tough ones. And it also creates homeostasis in the entire body-mind complex, which is all of you. And I brought Shervine in to tell us some of the unique features of this amazing Nexus product. This product was named Nexus for a reason, because it is the center point of your body's ability to create homeostasis across the board. We combine all forms of alchemy in here, full spectrum cannabinoids, full spectrum tetrahydrocurcumin. So we went above and beyond standard curcumin or turmeric as other people know it. This has already been metabolized. So the liver immediately projects it into the body. We also have boswellia in there. Boswellia is a strong anti-inflammatory herb. And when you combine that with those other ingredients, you get nexus. It's sitting in omega-3 DHA EPA oil along with sea buckthorn and MCT oil. There really is nothing like that. And it's so delicious. It's flavored with organic lemon terpenes. So it's not an extract. It's the actual terpenes, the expression of the fruit. It's in there. Nexus is the best ever. I love the product. And so with all the chronic inflammation in the world and those of you that are athletes that are pushing yourself and need some recovery support, or like I said, if you want to induce mental calm or mental clarity, 
and homeostasis, you can't beat Nexus. So go to C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com, symbiotica.com, and on checkout, use your code, all caps, capital C, capital H, capital E, capital K, 15 to get your 15% discount. And while you're there, look at all the other amazing products, because I'm sure there's several that you'll want to use immediately because they will make your life better. That's why I use them. Always let us know your feedback. I love sharing the best of the best with you. The, there's another point I wanted to bring up, and that is I've seen a lot of marijuana with fungal infections. You buy it right from the store, you pick it up, you smell it, and you smell the smell of mildew or mold right in it. Yeah. And that's highly toxic. And I, I, I think this is something that most people aren't aware of. And I think a lot of it has to do with, A, the quality of the plant. It can come out of the ground, as you've talked about with that crop uh, that, that got ruined from bad farming. So uh, a lot of people may be actually smoking a plant or using product that has a fungal infection, which can be very disabling to the body. Yes. But I also found that storage is really important. If you store the marijuana where the humidity is too high, it can grow a fungal infection and become very poisonous. Yeah. Um, I will say that uh, we have very stringent testing now with the new regulations, at least in California, and I know any in any regulatory state, um, that everything gets tested for mold and mycotoxins and fungus. Um, and so if you are buying from a licensed dispensary, that's not something that you should have to worry about. Um, you know, absolutely, if there is a tiny spore that goes unnoticed and you're storing it improperly, those things can bloom. Um, but you know, I tell people to store their cannabis, just like they store their wine. Um, especially obviously the fresh flower, um, is that you want it somewhere dark and cool and, you know, without too much humidity. So keep it in the jar and keep it, you know, in under your bed or, you know, in your wine cellar or, you know, somewhere like that. Yeah. I seal mine in, in like, um, Mason jars and, yeah. and they're usually inside of, uh, the container that they came in inside the jar. Yeah. And I, I use uh, moisture packs to keep it from drying out so bad that it's, uh, you know, just dusty when you vaporize it. And right. I found if I go above 69%, you know, you, the moisture packs can be purchased at different humidity levels. I found if you go above 69%, then the plant will start getting a fungal infection. So there's a tip for anybody yeah. that wants to keep their marijuana really nice so it vaporizes better. But 58 to 62 is really that sweet spot, I think, for cannabis. Is that right? Yeah. And I also use the humidity packs. Um, okay. And, you know, for, for the canisseurs listening out there, it's, you know, blasphemy to hear that we're treating, you know, using humidity packs with high quality cannabis because they, they believe that these um, packs rob the terpenes from the cannabis. But what they haven't sort of had the patience to discover, which I have done a, a ton of personal and anecdotal research on this. Um, is that the humidity pack, of course, when it's put in with that flower, will uh, you know absorb the moisture and with it, some of those terpenes will come. And yes, you will have this sense that your flowers have now lost all of their terpenes or their phenolics, their, their smell and their scent molecules. But given a minute, you know, a few days, a few weeks, depending upon the, the sort of ambient temperature and humidity in the jar, um, it will come to a place of homeostasis and those yeah. terpenes will be released back out. Yeah. Um, and so that's also a misnomer. And I do believe that there is absolute benefit to making sure that your cannabis is not only dried properly, but cured properly 
and that you maintain its humidity levels with something like that. And, you know, there's a whole discussion that I do um, related to this concept of curing cannabis, because again, in our industrialized, you know, sort of understanding of this plant, people are often saying that cannabis that's a year old is, is old and should be thrown out. Um, and I actually know that to be fundamentally untrue. And in fact, most cannabis, if it's grown, especially in a full term season, um, not only needs, you know, instead of the traditional three to five days of drying, um, the plant actually needs somewhere between 15 and 21 days of very slow, high humidity drying. And then it also needs an additional, not two to three months of curing, but often up to six months, just like a bottle of wine before it has actually come into its own state of homeostasis within the curing process of the plant. That's pretty wild. I had no idea the cure time was that long. Well, Alicia, man, I am digging this conversation. I love talking to people that are grounded and have an understanding of biodynamic farming principles and holistic health and are are looking at the use of marijuana rationally and spiritually. And I think that's massively missing in the world, not only on marijuana, but on everything. Mm, absolutely it is. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, we got to get it figured out quick before we destroy the planet because she's a holistic organism and and, and uh, she has her own immune system and it's starting to kick in pretty heavy. Yeah, I would agree with that. And, you know, I mean, the entire philosophy of my business around this sacred plant comes back to the mission statement of cultivating greater health and harmony for people and planet because cannabis is a vehicle for positive change for all of the reasons that we're discussing today. It's very hard to use high quality cannabis and seek that out and bring that into your daily or weekly or regular practice of, of living and well-being without having it affect your um, connection, right? Your connection to, to, the, to the natural world um, that this plant is profoundly capable of doing, doing that. Yeah. And, and, and one thing that just to drop back to our initial conversation about, um, whether or not you can have legitimate spiritual experiences using, uh, cannabis or any psychedelic, you know, I've researched this a lot and being a man who's studied plant medicines quite extensively. And, you know, I've also been very diligent and honest about having a, a consistent meditation practice, for most of my life, but uh, particularly in the last 18 years, when I studied with Master Fong Ha uh, and learned Tai Chi and took uh, training in medical Qigong, I've been very consistent for 18 years with daily Tai Chi. Sometimes I'll miss a day, but I usually do some kind of meditation, even if I don't do Tai Chi. And most days I do a combination of meditation and Tai Chi. So I've gone deep enough to have complete union experiences through meditation and Tai Chi. Mm. And then I've gone through that with plant medicines just to make sure that I'm not deluding myself or only having a one-sided viewpoint. So I really put the effort in to, to explore the, you know, the, the um, shall we say, the tree of, of inner arts as well as the support system given by nature through plant molecules but one of the things I wanted to share with you is in the past, I've done a lot of research on various protein powders and things like that for vegetarians and athletes and people with different kinds of digestive disorders. And I found that whenever I ate um, various protein powders with hemp in them, that I got a, a, a 
sort of an immune reaction, like an intolerance reaction, just like I'd get with gluten. Mm. And um, lately, I've had a few uh, CBD oil manufacturers and and products, you know, companies that make different products. That are, they're all organic, but that they've offered to sponsor my podcast. And I always say, oh, I have to test the products first. Mm. So in the last two or three months, I've been doing a lot of testing on CBD oil. And recently, um, I had a very interesting reaction happen. The inside of my nose split open. You know how a heel or a lip can crack? Mm. You know how people get dried heels and the heel cracks open? Absolutely. Yeah. So my nose actually up inside my nostril split open and was it's was wickedly painful and i'm like okay the only thing i'm doing different is the cbd oil Ooh. and so i s- said to my soul is it the cbd oil and i got a yes so i said okay i stopped i stopped about three maybe three days ago and it's already almost healed now Ooh. i'm wondering uh, how many people do you think are having reactions to any of these marijuana products because they don't do well on hemp uh, I imagine that there's quite a lot, and I will. I have a couple of theories actually about that. Of course, oh, I'm good. I asked you then. <laughs> none of them scientifically proven, of course. But we need to think about one thing that we've already covered, and another thing that I think everyone needs to know. And the thing that we've already covered is most CBD oils are being used um, as an isolate. So the the CBD that you're getting that is sold over the counter. Uh, is not regulated by any regulatory system. It's not regulated by the FDA or by any of the state's cannabis legislation. And so um, literally we have no idea what's in them, number one. And number two, um, when again, when we're using anything that is an isolate, I think we have you know a greater chance of doing harm than, than help. Um, the thing that we haven't talked about, which I always try to cover in the context of CBD and the difference between hemp CBD and cannabis-derived CBD, um, specifically in full-spectrum cannabis-derived CBD, is um, hemp and cannabis. They are just two different lineages, if you will, um, of the exact same plant. Uh, And hemp and cannabis both are incredibly powerful bioaccumulators. So hemp, of course, some people know this, was used at Chernobyl to actually clear up um, the remaining, you know, nuclear waste, um, when they couldn't get the rest of it out of the soils and needed to do that remediation work, hemp was incredibly powerful at doing so. It is an unbelievable bioaccumulator. It's a plant just, you know, like bamboo and some of these other plants that can grow literally from a seed into, you know, a 20 foot tall plant in a single season. And so it's, it's ability to soak up everything from its environment, from the soil, the water and the air is quite profound. And so when we're using this plant and growing it in places of quote unquote organic agriculture or worse, industrialized agriculture, um, of course, you know, a a lot of these hemp farms are being planted on top of old soy and wheat and corn Ah. um, because the commodity market has crashed, as we all know. Um, And so they're being grown in these fields where chemicals have been poured for, you know, many, many years. And those plants are now taking up all of those pesticides and fertilizers and, you know, and contaminants in the ground and and in the water. Um, And then we're concentrating the oil down to tiny little drops from these plants. And then we're putting it in bottles and calling it medicine without testing it. We are finding, and there's been plenty of studies done on this, um, that, you know, if you take 30, uh, you know, uh, different CBD oils that are available across over the counter, 
most of them don't even have CBD in them. And what they do have is very high levels of toxic pesticides and heavy metals. And so God knows what's in your CBD oil, even if they're saying that it is organic, if they're not going through a certificate of authenticity testing. It, it, it is. Certi- it's got three certificates of authenticity. Uh, the one that I'm using the most right now is quite heavily tested and certified organic. Uh, but I have tested probably three different brands in the last few months. So it might be an accumulative effect and Mm. it could be that I just don't do well with, uh, that much of a a marijuana product in my body. I don't know. Yeah. That's what I was going to say is that your receptor sites have gotten full and perhaps that like what you were talking about with the other researcher friend, um, that had done the research on the receptor sites full of THC when you're taking an isolate of this plant, it's clogging your receptor sites and the rest of the therapeutic components of this plant aren't coming along to actually clear those receptor sites that you actually may be, you know, sort of in a state of having too much and it's precluding other physiological responses that those receptor sites are going to be responsible for. Yeah. You know, I'll interject a comment there. You know, the, the reason I was so interested in testing it uh, for myself is because one, <laughs> I have a lot of bad injuries over the years from parachuting, cliff diving, uh, six major concussions, racing motocross, years and years of boxing and kickboxing, uh, motorcycle stunts, bicycle stunts. I mean, I'm, I'm a sort of an orthopedic uh, history book (laughs) and uh, (laughs) I had a guy fall on my head doing a lifting stunt about 10 years ago and it tore the ligaments in my C5, 6, 6, 7 segment of my neck blew both oh. discs out, compressed my spinal cord and shut the entire left side of my body off. And my whole left side of my body started to atrophy. And then I, I lost uh, 26 pounds of muscle in four weeks. So I couldn't even lift a briefcase. And I went through a, a hell of a, a crisis of self. Wow. So spiritually, it was very good because it really, uh, shall we say, just put a bomb in my ego and brought me into my feminine quite deeply, which mm. so I'm I'm grateful for it. But I, I, I really for years and years had really bad chronic pain in my neck, like someone stabbing an, an ice pick in my neck all day. Mm. And so I've always been looking for things to help control the pain and the inflammation. And one of the things I noticed, uh, well, the f- a first thing I'll throw in is one day it dawned on me that we were leaving the wireless system on in the house at night. And Penny can tell you, I used to wear through a bed sheet, a brand new bed sheet about every three months, I'd wear a hole right in it because I turn over so much at night from the pain. But once we shut the wireless system off, it was the first, the first night we shut it off was the first night I'd had a full sleep since the Mm. neck injury years before, Mm. but there's still a lot of residual pain. And if I do certain lifts, it gets, it gets irritated And so, um, when I started using the CBD oils, I was getting all of which were, you know, to my knowledge, high quality organic, or I wouldn't use them. Um, the pain went way down and my neck actually feels the best toward normal it ever has. So I've had the joy and the benefits of the CBD oil, but now I started getting this kind of nose reaction and I thought, wow, something's going on. So there's, you know, my reason for using it was really pain control and to test it because it's my policy that I won't promote anything that I don't test. And I, I usually give things out to athletes that I'm coaching and clients and friends that I know are healthy people that give me good feedback before I'll uh, make any kind of an arrangement with any company because 
I don't want to sell things to people that I don't believe in. I don't, I, I'm, I'm less concerned about the money and more concerned about what I'm offering in the world. Yes. So that, that was a, a little bit of the backstory on that. Um, CBD can be incredibly powerful, but again, I would argue that we need the whole plant, right? That, that anytime that we're taking that sort of singular molecule and expecting it to do all the jobs that it's just not going to be able to. And just like you were saying before, with the vitamin analogy that, you know, we actually have to create other things, um, in order to get the benefit from that. Um, you know, and, and at the end of the day, I hate to say it, but organic doesn't mean anything anymore. Um, yeah, no, it's unfortunate. Yes. You know, I, I'm, I, one I'm an the, expert on the topic. Yeah, of course you are. And, you know, I have a very, um, recent experience with this, which is, um, you know, to, with my other herbs that I actually make my cannabis tinctures with, um, I actually just submitted one. I was getting ready to release it. It's one of our most popular products. It's called Rock and Roll, which is all just, you know, sort of a great name. Um, but it failed testing, not because of the cannabis, but because two of the other organic herbs from the highest quality source that I have found uh, had high levels of, of um, heavy metal in them. So, yeah, that's um, bad. You know, and they're being sold, you know, to, all the other medicine makers, you know, in cannabis, but mostly not in cannabis, um, as you know, therapeutic, organic, uh, certified herbal tinctures. And, you know, it just goes to show how broken the system is and how much we need to reorient everything within the context of our farming system. Yeah. I tell people medicine and, and, and food. I tell people all the time, you know, because the supplement industry is just wild and crazy and there's just billions and billions of dollars being made off of supplements. And, you know, even some of my friends are making truckloads of money off of supplements. But I tell people all the time, you got to remember, unless those supplements are made from certified organic source materials, you're eating commercially uh, raised plants that are now um, concentrated in supplements. So you're actually getting high doses of, of all the farming chemicals and every other thing that we're talking about. While you're trying to heal yourself with a supplement, you're actually poisoning yourself with it. And unfortunately, I, I don't make a lot of friends when I start talking about that at yeah. conferences. In fact, I, I've actually been banned from conferences because <laughs> when I lecture there, the vendors complain like hell because nobody will buy their products. Yeah. So it's, it's, uh, you know, a challenge I've had to face, but you know, I'm, the, I'm the, not there to, to, uh, sell stuff. I'm there to educate people. Absolutely. So I, I just say, well, if that's the standard that you operate at, then I don't even belong at this conference, but, uh, exactly. um, you know, uh, it's, it's amazing thing. You know, I've been traveling around the world, lecturing at conferences for a very long time and, and worldwide, I mean, all over the world. And, um, I've watched educational conferences turning to nothing but uh, uh, whores, uh, prostitution rings for selling products. And the education is all connected to products now. You don't even get education. Everything, almost all the presentations that are in these conferences are backed by somebody selling a product. Mm. And I used to get paid to lecture and paid to travel. Now they charge us to be at the conference and to give lectures. I'm like, what the hell kind of deal is that? You're making tons of money and I have to spend my money to go give education. And I sell education. I don't sell bottles of pills and gimmicks, you know? So the, you're right. The, our, our whole economic system and our whole ethical system is, is really in, in serious peril. I mean, the shadow elements of it are 
very strong. I think 2020 is the year where we can, we have to confront our shadow and all the different systems from religion to politics, to science, to food manufacturing, to science, uh, to, to, uh, uh, gadgets, you know, the whole biohacking industry. I think that's another damn disease that's going on. It's all <laughs> gadget and pill oriented. Yeah. I'd love to talk more about that for sure. Fire away. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think that's a whole nother podcast, Paul. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, we'll, we'll do another podcast. You know, my, <laughs> my next question for you is, do you speak or communicate to the, to the plant cannabis plant? And if so, what are some of the key messages that the plant spirit has shared with you? Hmm, I, I absolutely do though. We don't admit it right in a lot of public forums. Um, but I actually, um, I, I start speaking with the plants even when they're in seed form. Um, so I have this um, strange, almost almost foreign, um, you know, to my conscious, but very comfortable with my subconscious sense of uh, the karma and lineage of cannabis seeds. Uh, and I know that that may sound strange, but um, but I seek out the cannabis seeds to plant in our biodynamic gardens. Um, solely by feel, not by name, um, oftentimes not by breeder, um, but definitely always by feel. And it's a very intuitive thing. Um, and then throughout the course of the time that these plants are growing, I actually come into communion with particular plants in the garden. And those are the ones that actually get jarred up and made into our grade A flowers for Herba Buena. So, you know, I go, you know, walking through the garden and actually feeling the vibration from these particular plants um, tells me what their therapeutic benefit is going to be. And, you know, just like kids, you know, seed grown cannabis plants are all different, just like, you know, children out of even the same parents. Um, and so, you know, being able to have that, um, that sense about the plants based on their harmonic frequency, I think, um, is part of the reason that that you know what when people try our cannabis, it is so fundamentally and profoundly different than than just about every other cannabis product they've tried. Um, funnily enough, uh, I have an amazing female advisor who is actually a Stanford MBA and uh, incredibly accomplished in the business world. Um, and she actually asked me the other day, you know, go get quiet with the plant and ask her for the answers. And that's a Stanford MBA talking. So you know, she you know that she is quite clued in. Um, and so I did, you know, I sat down with my favorite strain and I held it for a while and then I vaporized some and I held it for a while longer and I meditated with it. Um, and some, you know, it wasn't answers that came to me, but, but a particular sense of peace came to me around some things that had really been causing me some, you know, crisis of conscience, if you will. Um, and, uh, and so I think more than words, this plant communicates with us in a way that is like we were talking about before, deeply resonant with something that is, you know, very much embodied and subconscious rather than in the conscious realm. Yeah, I, I just had a great podcast with um, Amit Goswami, and we got into issues of communicating with plants and animals and things like that. And I teach that in my holistic lifestyle coach training program. And people always ask me, well, how in the hell can you talk to a plant? And I say, well, what you first need to realize is that what you think of DNA is not just uh, pre-programmed information that's fixed. The DNA is actually 
a, a cosmic antenna that taps you into the information fields throughout the earth and the cosmos. Mm. And what they call junk DNA is from my shamanic investigations and looking inward using my skills of clairvoyance, junk DNA is actually a record of our biological evolution. And when you look at the DNA record of the, the genes that we have in common with things like daffodils, bananas, trees, it's a high percentage. And I think the junk DNA is actually a library of all the um, species of organisms on the planet that we actually have coded within ourselves because the human being, I believe, is sort of the evolutionary tip of the sword. In other words, mm. the, the plants are our grandparents yeah. and the animals are our, our, you know, our more recent ancestors. So, so uh, my personal feeling from using my own inner vision and clairvoyance and talking to spirit about it is that junk DNA is not junk at all. It's how we can communicate with nature. It's how we find water when we're lost in the wilderness. It's how we find our way home. It's how we know what to eat and not to eat intuitively. Mm. So I think there, there's a lot to be there. And, and through my years of practice, I found that right inside of us, because archetypes are the root language of consciousness and our psyche operates on archetypes and so does every form operate on archetypes for example the tree archetype is the archetype of anything tree-like be it a, a, a tree in the forest or a computer tree or a hat tree so we we actually have the conscious capacity to translate the language of a plant or the language of an animal or even the language of crystals and stones and soil microorganisms but most of us don't go deep enough into our spiritual development to get to the place where we can empty ourselves enough to allow the wisdom within our bodies, which is the storehouse of that wisdom, to do its translational information. Mm. What, I, what I tell my students is if you learn to truly empty yourself, which I call emptying the bone is the shamanic term, completely empty yourself and become neutral, which I teach people to do in their healing work so that you can become an instrument of perception. For example, if I get next to somebody that's suffering from, say, um, inflammation of the small intestine or anxiety, I will all of a sudden feel like my intestinal tract swollen up and feel anxious. Mm. And because I know that's not me and I've emptied myself, it tells me what I'm picking up through their energy field as living information. Yeah. And if we empty our minds and then see what images arise when we hold our focus on that plant or on that crystal or healing stone, then to the degree you've learned to distinguish your own ego activity or mental activity from what's being receptive, you will be communicated to in images, which are archetypes. And from there, you can begin a dialogue with the, with the plant, for example. Mm. But I'm just sharing how I do it and, and mm. how I teach it. But it, it takes a fair bit of commitment to keeping your body healthy, um, keeping your uh, body free enough of toxins and other external factors. And this is why, uh, you know, dieting and fasting is so important in most shamanic uh, practices and healing ceremonies because you've got to, in order to do this deep work, you have to empty yourself of all influences. Yes. And the molecules in your gut are still active until they leave your body. So when I'm when I really need to do deep work, I, I will uh, restrict my diet to only the plants that I know that I I can trust my relationship with, not to cloud my judgment, mm. or I'll fast, and then I will go do the research to get this information. And I have a daily practice that I do 
to continue to develop my skills of connecting to other dimensions and, and what be plant beings or uh, beings of other dimensions so that I keep those skills active because I use them constantly when I'm coaching people and working with sick people. And I get far more information uh, that way than I do mm. uh, reading what they write on a paper because the more of course. the more unhealthy the person is, the more out of touch they are with re- what's really going on with themselves. Yes. And, and they bury their emotions and everything that a therapist needs to know about. So I have to be the, uh, I have to be the instrument. In fact, Steiner said, men will continue to invent technologies out of him, outside of himself until he either destroys the world or realizes everything he's been inventing outside of himself is a copy of something that exists within himself. Already, exactly. So true. It's so true. I was going to ask if you've used cannabis to meditate. Oh, yeah. I, I've used cannabis to meditate. I don't use cannabis a lot because I find that, um, A, I'm very sensitive to it. I mean, um, I love it when I paint. Painting is part of my spiritual practice, and it's it's also a way that I, I create joy in my life. And I'm an art therapist, and I teach my patients how to use painting for healing practices and for creativity and for unbound play. And I find cannabis is just absolutely lovely when I'm painting. Um, mm. And I choose the strain based on what my soul guides me to. And some of the strains of cannabis can open you to higher dimensions unbelievably, but others will take you down more into the uh, lower earth realms I've found. So you have to Truly. be you have to be careful to know how to choose them or you can find yourself staring at a canvas or trying to do some <laughs> creative writing and you're just like a, you know, a burnout, you know? Totally. That's so true. Very true. Well, and you know, it's in the context of art, right? Um, I've been thinking a lot about, uh, and I, and I actually think that cannabis has gotten me to this place of understanding that life is art. Um, and every, you know, everything that we do, um, deserves attention and intention. Um, and so be it painting, be it meditation, being, um, you know, your work, your daily work, raising your children, um, helping your clients, you know, making love, like all of these things getting, you know, turned into an artful form. I find cannabis so incredibly potent and powerful to get more deeply in touch with that intuitive self to be more creative in every way. Yes. And intuitive and empathic as well. Absolutely. Um, and I, I think, I think you have to have a deep enough relationship with yourself to know how to use cannabis or any of these things in ways that actually are beneficial opening and bring you into the right dimensions, or you actually can find yourself um, having pretty much the opposite experience you were looking for. Yeah. In other words, what works for me may not work for you. Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of this boils right back down to, have you developed enough inner awareness to let, to be guided by your instincts by your subconscious, which is the wisdom of your cells, your unconscious, and your superconscious, which which I would say is the domain of the soul. Mm. And uh, most people are having a hard time with everything because they just keep listening to what people write on paper and what people with white jackets tell them and believing it as fact. So they yeah. operate as children that externalize all authority for self to somebody else. And that leads to a necessary crisis. And I have a series out right now called lessons from the pain teacher that goes into exactly how pain comes to teach us to wake up. 
Absolutely. Well, and a lot of that is associated with trauma. You know, this idea that your body is telling you something and you have this quote unquote expert telling you something else and you immediately get contracted, which is going to make the problem worse. Yes. And I find that happens a lot with, you know, sort of more Western philosophical doctors of, you know, there's, there's systems in your body that, that know. um, And yet we've been trained to listen to others as if they know better. Yes. Now we've come quite a long ways here in the interview. So I want to kind of bring it into sort of uh, uh, our last chapter here. Um, We've covered a lot of your outline that you and I put together for the interview, just to make sure we hit the key markers, but there's a couple things I'd like to talk about. We've, we've talked about stress and anxiety. We've talked about chronic pain, analgesic um, CBD as an anti-inflammatory sleep is what actually led me to getting my first medical prescription from 25 years on on airplanes. I developed a very bad circadian stress disorder, and I found that sati- uh, excuse me, indica, uh, certain strains of indica, would actually allow me to fall into a nice deep sleep. Yeah. So, is there any comments you want to make on the benefits of marijuana as a sleep aid? Absolutely. Um, I, in, in fact, also um, have disrupted circadian rhythms and have had pretty serious insomnia throughout um, parts of my life. And so sleep is something that I, you know, that I pay a lot of attention to in the context of my cannabis use. And so what I tell people when they come to me with sleep disorders or just, you know, kind of issues with modern day, you know, sleeplessness is first, right? We ask, turn off your wireless, don't look at your screens, make sure you have your ritual before bed, right? Looking at this from the holistic perspective, but specifically around the cannabis, um, absolutely always seek out sun-grown plants, right? They're going to have the most balancing effect. So we want the sun-grown, soil-grown plants first and foremost. We want to be taking anything that has been extracted in a full spectrum extract way. So regardless of anything else, that is the first and foremost thing that people need to be looking for when they're when they're approaching cannabis and seeking out cannabis products. So if you don't get any further than that, you're still going to be doing better than most of the population right now. The problem That's, is that narrows the market to almost nothing. nothing. I mean, there's just a handful. Exactly. You're, you're a one handful. of the few people I know that's this uh, ethical and moral and and uh, biodynamic. I mean, I have come yes. across some yes. some really good stuff. In fact. Um, I didn't mention my friend's name that referred me to you because I don't think he wants to be famous for his, <laughs> yes. his work, but he, uh, his, his cannabis is some of the best I've ever had. And he, yeah. he farms it biodynamically. Exactly. Uh, he doesn't do it to sell it, but uh, hap- I happen to be fortunate to be a buddy. So I, I get some now and then, and oh my yeah. God, it's awesome. Yes. So and- looking at the way that it's farmed, right, full, full season and soil grown is, is first and foremost, if you can find biodynamic, um, which you can't because we're the only people that have it. But, um, but hopefully that's all starting to change and the shift is coming. But for sleep in particular, of course, we want to be looking at an indica strain, right, which is, yes. again, the, the genetic um, variety that is going to be more embodied, more sedative in effect based on its terpene profile and its cannabinoid balance profile. So you want something that's going to actually take us out of our minds, which sativas are really good at getting us, you know, back into our heads and being creative and awake and aware. Um, You would like, you know, you definitely want to be looking for indica strains that are going to be more sedative and more embodied. Um, And oftentimes a combination of THC and CBD um, is also really effective for sleep because THC, no matter what, you know, what you're taking, even if it's from an indica strain, 
is going to be stimulating in some way to your body systems. Whereas CBD is, is going to be the, the, mo- the molecule that actually helps to relax and, um, and sort of regulate the, all of your body systems. So when you take these two things together, you're always going to have a better effect for overall um, greater wellness and calm. Um, and CBD is, is a misnomer. A lot of people think that you take CBD to sleep, but CBD actually calms the neurological response that you have when you get that monkey brain and can't turn it off to go to sleep. So CBD is an aid to getting your neurological system to calm rather than having a specific sedative effect that will make you sleep. Um, Edibles can also be incredibly effective um, for sleep because the way that the THC uh, breaks down in your digestive tract, um, it actually becomes more and more and more sedative the more the molecule is broken down. So it goes through all these different molecular changes when it's smoked or um, in this case, when it goes through your digestive tract where, you know, it goes through THC, you know, Delta nine, Delta 11, there's all these different forms of, of the THC molecule that it passes through the last and most degraded form of THC is something called CBN as a Nancy. And that is the most sedative form of cannabis that you can find. So CBN is actually created as the, as the THC breaks down in your digestive tract. And that is why eating edibles are so deeply embodied and can be so sedative in their effect and also really great for sleep. Um, CBN you can find in tinctures and things. Now people are starting to put it, you know, specifically in, in cannabis derived, you know, sleep aids, um, I would caution people for myself, CBN can be a very powerful sedative to the point where if I take too high an amount of CBN in particular, um, I actually will feel a little bit groggy the next day. So um, while it is very effective to you know put me down and keep me down as it were, um, you have to be a little bit careful when you're taking higher quantities of CBN. Cool. Um, I'd like to ask you a, a couple of questions. I work with and know a lot of pregnant women what's the are there contraindications for pregnant women uh with regard to thc cbd or any of the marijuana derivatives that people should know about this is a a very touchy subject (laughs) and and also breastfeeding yeah yeah um so of course as a woman who owns a cannabis company i get asked this a lot um There have only been a few studies, um, one of which was done in the Rastafarian culture um, many years ago uh, to see if, 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 you know, uh, consumption of cannabis during pregnancy affected IQs. Uh, And that study shows that it it did not lower IQs of babies um, when mothers were using cannabis and THC specifically during pregnancy. Now, that's one study. Um, We do know that kids should not be taking THC. Um, before their brains are fully developed, which is why we say, you know, the age limit for consumption of cannabis is 21 and over, because we want to make sure that our brains are fully developed before we start putting a, a, you know, a compound in there that's going to affect the way that our neurological pathways work um, and the way that our neurons interact to various things. So um, when we're talking about in the context of fetal development, there have not been definitive studies showing benefit or harm. Um, so that's, you know, good news. Um, I would say for pregnant women, um, you know, CBD because it's not psychotropic is probably a good thing and, and should not have any contraindications based on everything that we know thus far. The THC, if you're going to take it for stress reduction and pain reduction and a lot of other things that it can be used for and beneficial for, 
um, when you are pregnant, um, I would say keep the THC ratio quite low. Um, and don't, you know, certainly don't be doing dabs or, you know, vape pens or things that are highly concentrated in THC. I would definitely caution women to, you know, during that fetal development and that neurological development within the body, um, that, you know, that, that you keep THC to a minimum, but there have been no studies to show that it's detrimental to the fetus or to the resulting child. Okay. A couple of questions came up that I will work through with you. One uh, a lot of the places that I buy uh, marijuana from um, test it, and they give you a breakdown of CBD, THC, and a few other molecules. And I've noticed that in the last few years, the THC content is going through the friggin' roof on these things. Yep. And I find that if I get a plant that's got more than about 22% THC, that my brain just aches like I'm on speed and I'm just yeah. jacked up. It's not meant to be that high, right? The plants from these land race strains, which are essentially like the heritage strains of our industry, um, oftentimes have six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10% THC and a much higher percentage of some of these other incredibly therapeutic compounds like CBD and CBG and THCV and all these other miraculous things, right? So I, I actually, most of my favorite cannabis is in the range of about 12 to 16%, to be totally honest. Anything over tw 19 to 20, I generally am not going to feel as good from. Yeah, I, I've, uh, the, there's one lady in particular I get my stuff from. It's Mother Mary's, which is a really, she's, she you know, really sources good products and is quite good at, you know, not selling lousy stuff. And she, mm. I only buy the organic stuff, but she often gets me the stuff that's more like homegrown. And sometimes I, I actually find that if I smoke the leaves instead of the flowers, kind of like the old days, you know, we used to get yeah. it, the, the leaf and the flower all. But the THC and, isn't and, so concentrated. Yeah. And, and <laughs> yeah. it's actually much more relaxing. And I'm like, yes. I don't, I feel like I can enjoy it and I can enjoy more of it without just feeling like, wow, I'm just completely like blasted yes. the fuck to another planet. Yeah. Well, and I would say, first and foremost, forget what they say about organic, because organic is not a standard we can use in the cannabis industry right now. So it's just a name, right? It doesn't actually have any meaning. No, um, but I'm sensitive enough to tell, believe me. Yeah, no, I, I'm just saying for our listeners, right? Yeah, so that's something yeah. that they need to understand. Everybody's banding these kind of greenwashing terms around, and they mean absolutely nothing. Yeah. Um, and and also ask for sun-grown, right? Like if you can't find this, a strain that you want, it doesn't matter. You're going to always have a better effect from a full-season sun-grown plant than one that is light, up or indoor every time. Yeah, Um. Now, another thing I, I've, I've had situations where I know I've known people, um, that were smoking marijuana starting like, you know, as early as 13, 14 years old high school and have done it regularly. But then when they try to get off because they get a job where they get, uh, you know, uh, drug tested and things like that, they, they tell me that they cannot think clearly, that their mind, they can't write, they can't type, they can't create a sentence unless they have pot. Mm. Do you think this is linked to the disruption that the marijuana is causing in their brain development? And now that they, they can't make certain neural connections without um, marijuana derivatives in their bloodstream? 
Gosh, I think that that's, you know, not an impossibility for sure. I mean, I am someone who's been using cannabis regularly, you know, from from a relatively early age, certainly before I was 21. I don't have that particular issue. Um, but I do think that, you know, that thinking is is spot on that, you know, anytime we're using something that is psychotropic or psychoactive before our brains are fully developed, it's, you know, going to be a part of our development and, you know, not always necessarily a, a good part. And so, um, you know, again, I think while we know that there isn't a physical dependence um, that is formed around cannabis, there certainly is um, a psychological one because it does make us feel good. And so we become dependent on that, on that as a crutch or an aid. Um, and, you know, I don't think that, you know, I think that we need to be able to, like you were saying, have, have the ability to find happiness even without it and use this more as a tool, um, you know, to get back to homeostasis. Yeah. I tell people, look, use your iPhone, use your pot, use your alcohol, whatever it is, if it, it, use it so that it supports the creation of a life worth living and enhances creativity and doesn't negate responsibility in relationship to self, uh, exactly. family, friends. And the day that you can't do that, you now have an addiction. And yeah. I define an addiction as any repeated behavior that does not produce the results you want. Yes. So I, I think we have a real problem now with kind of the dark side of marijuana is that it's it's actually fortifying avoidance. It's fortifying kind of escaping from the reality of the responsibilities of work life, education, uh, and participating in one's own life in the world. And, and mm -hmm. that's one of the things that concerns me with this mass consumption of marijuana, not to mention the fact that, you know, n now we're basically turning it into another soy crop or cotton crop right. or and so we're just going to destroy the planet with marijuana. And, yeah. and, we're, and, and, you know, right now the world needs all hands on deck. So I tell people, look, if you're smoking pot and it's making you less able to participate in the healing of the world, then you're actually part of the disease that's destroying yes. the planet. Yes. But Absolutely. Uh, another thing I wanted to ask you about is um, my experience with all these vape pens is that a lot of them are using carriers. I've had a few people give me a hit and I just felt toxic and messed up with even one puff of the shit. There's, what are they putting in these vape pens that's so damn nasty? Oh God. I mean, I wish I knew all of the ingredients. I mean, there's obviously many of them that are precluded in, you know, the, the, the compliant and tested um, world um, of legal dispensaries. But um, you know, again, first and foremost, it's what, where did the plant material come from and how is it extracted? So a lot of these uh, oils and things are actually being extracted using toxic petrochemicals and hydrocarbons. So that's number one. Um, so even if you started with, you know, clean material and extracted it in a, in a way that leaves the imprint of these toxic substances on the sacred plant, um, I think that you're going to feel that. Um, also the plants themselves, oftentimes vape pens are made out of the absolute dregs of our industry. Um, again, that biomass that nobody can do anything else with and is just, you know, being turned into oil as a commodity versus as a medicine. Um, and then there are absolutely additives. Um, you know, people used to add coconut oil as a thinner so that you could burn it in these vape pens, which sounds very natural. But when in fact you vaporize coconut oil, it turns into formaldehyde. Um, oh, wow. a lot of people are now are using propylene glycol, 
um, which, you know, is, is quote unquote, a safe substance, you know, food FDA approved. But we've never seen what happens when we vaporize into microparticulates, oil-based microparticulates, propylene glycol into our lungs, right? I mean, that's just going to be a heyday when people find that out. I would also say that even without, oh, and they're adding fruit terpenes, right? Non-native terpenes. So terpenes are found in cannabis, but they're using terpenes that are derived from other plants, which we know that they turn into carcinogens, you know, when these highly volatile um, you know, aromatic molecules are burned, they turn into, you know, something that is not good for us and may even be carcinogenic. Just like when you're using the oil and you're not using a high quality vaporizer pen, like the battery, it's heating the oil too hot, which if anybody's burned even the most beautiful organic olive oil in their pan while they're cooking dinner, knows that it turns into something that you don't want to be inhaling. Um, and then, you know, even with cannabis terpenes, people are using, you know, terpenes that are derived from cannabis, but they're putting them in these vape pens in such high quantities that that's creating some of these other issues, like, you know, again, the psychosis and things like that. Um, so, you know, for me, there's one company that I work with um, that I will even, you know, sell their vape pens, which is uh, Bright Labs. I think they're fantastic. Um, their extraction methods and their farming sources are very good. And they don't put anything in their oil or in their cartridges other than pure plant CO2 extract. Um, and so really, this is about, you know, becoming an educated consumer, because if you walk into a dispensary and ask a bud tender some of these questions, not only will they not know, they will have oftentimes got, got, get misinformation from the vendors and distributors themselves. So it's, you know, it's, it's about doing your homework in this very nascent emerging marketplace and really knowing the questions to ask and not buying something unless you're satisfied that it's going to be um, truly a product that's going to help you, you know, get to a, a higher place of health. Yeah. Um, a couple things I wanted to share, you know, um, when I travel all over the world or go on vacation, I'm, I often kind of just go looking around to see, you know, what, if, if, if it's places where marijuana is legal, what do they sell? And, Unfortunately for me, I I our I think our last vacation was not not this most recent vacation, but the one before we took a cruise ship to Alaska, and uh, man, Alaska has a wicked mar mar medical marijuana marijuana industry. Now that it's legal up there, have you been up there at all? Uh, I I have, yeah. <laughs> oh my god! And they had some incredibly beautiful buds and plants i saw plants in there with so much thc it looked like freaking crystals on the plants it, you yeah. could hold it in the light and it literally was like salt crystals the thc yeah. was so heavy i'm like wow this is crazy stuff man this is probably gonna just knock you into another freaking world yeah but the point i'm getting at is just in my wanderings around one time i i um I didn't bring my vaporizer and I thought oh, I'll just go buy a, a small vaporizer. And I was going to these different shops looking for a vaporizer that I thought would work for me. Mm. And I'll, you know, now they've got all these pens and different things you can try and you walk in there and the, the, the place is just full of the smoke from people vaporizing all that stuff. Yeah. And I, I just feel like I'm going to get ill in these places. It's almost like yeah. walking into a store that sells a lot of like centers for your house, you know, those commercial centers yeah. are 
It's like, oh my God, people are putting this shit in their lungs. It's yeah, like, what if the you f- if you get a big plume from a vape pen, you can absolutely be assured that there's something in there that that you shouldn't have. A pure, you know, uh, cannabis oil that is vaporized actually, you know, creates very little plume. Um, there's even if you don't feel it because you're not tuned in, that's a great thing to sort of look at. Yeah. The one thing I wanted to point out is because people don't realize if you, you're talking about coconut oil and some of these oil-based carriers, the microvilli in the lungs don't do well when they're coated with oil of any Correct. type. Nope. <laughs> and and so it can lead to... Uh, it can lead to oxygen exchange problems. Yes. And as soon as I tell everybody that smokes or vapes, if you're going to do that, you got to do breathing exercises. You need to do practice deep, full diaphragmatic breathing, do Tai Chi, Qigong or something on a, as a daily basis or cardiovascular exercise yeah. to keep your lungs healthy, alive and open, or you're end up, you're going to end up having a problem. And one of the, you know, oxygen is, is the highest paramagnetic substance ever measured and the water in the body and the flesh of the body is diamagnetic. So to, to kind of explain that, are you familiar with paramagnetic and diamagnetic energies? Uh, I you you will be able to explain them better than I understand them, but I I sort of do. But yes, please tell us. <laughs> well, pa- paramagnetic energies have an affinity for the south pole of a magnet and diamagnetic for the for the north pole. So when you bring oxygen ev- with every breath into your body, it creates a relative um, polarity differential, which is you know, what alternating current is. In other words, you can't produce energy without a polarity differential. Mm-hmm. Okay. So oxygen is the most highly paramagnetic substance ever measured. It, it rates at 10,000, which is the top of the scale. Water and body tissues are diamagnetic, which is why the mineralization of soils with paramagnetic stones is so critical and why the normal microorganism populations are so critical because they restructure the humus in the soil to create a crumb structure, which research in Russia, and you can see it in the book Science and Agriculture by Arden Anderson, that it shows wild stuff. The Russians showed that the the microorganisms actually restructure the soil Mm -hmm. so that it acts as a cosmic antenna and sucks paramagnetic energy from the sun and the starlight into the soil, Mm. which then meets the water in the soil and the diamagnetic stones and creates the polarity differential that literally creates the energy that makes the plants grow. Mm, That's amazing. (laughs) So the point that I'm making is oxygen creates the paramagnetic charge that is the counterbalance to the water and the tissue in our body that produces the life force energy. And when people are vaping and smoking too much, they're displacing oxygen. Every breath you take from a vaporizer or a joint or a cigarette, you don't bring oxygen. You bring minimal oxygen and maximum other gases. And what I found is when you displace oxygen through vaporizing or smoking in any way, it actually creates an energy deficit. And what it leads to is people actually thinking they're hungry and they start overeating all the right. time. The and, munchies. Dr- <laughs> and, and, and they also drink uh, things with sugar in them. They're constantly trying to pick their energy up. And I say, before you start eating and drinking and getting the munchies, that's a sign that you're low on oxygen. Go out and do some breathing or, or run around your house five yeah. times. Yep. And uh, and then also the more you use these kinds of substances, the more important it is to use saunas, steam baths, or, uh, like I said, exercise that brings you into a good sweat or your detoxification systems just get totally clogged up. Absolutely. And, you know, I would like to say in the caveat, um, if I had my druthers, I would not 
uh, I don't make, but I definitely would not sell vape oils because I believe that the the oil that we're bringing into our lungs is not in the format that again nature intended, and that you know we know that from you know thousands and thousands of years people have been smoking cannabis as a as a spirit guide, as a therapeutic aid, applying it topically. Um, you know, I say stick with the tried and true methods that we know to be supportive of health and not detrimental to it. And also, you know, a lot of vape pens are actually made with distillate. And we've already talked about how, you know, God awful and detrimental this, this substance is, especially again, when you're inhaling it in an oil-based microparticulate into your lungs. Um, we're seeing that in particular distillate, distillate is having a negative effect on the mucosa of the body. So everything from your nose lining to your mouth, you know, to your lungs, to your digestive tract. So just stay yeah. away from vape pens unless you're really desperate for, for it. And you, you know, you need to medicate in a public place or something. I say, you know, don't even go there. There's so many other profoundly beneficial ways that we know to use this plant medicine. And topically is one of them, you know, while you, we can apply lots and lots of topical to our skin, um, even with high amounts of THC, um, it ha- can have profound benefit in overall body relaxation and helping to balance your endocannabinoid system. Um, and, you know, but it will not have any psychoactive effect, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the, I've studied the history of marijuana and, um, I have in my library, like a 400 page book, I think it's called the Giuliano report. Are you familiar with that? I'm not. Yeah. Yeah. Years ago, um, you know, I think in the forties, I think it was Mayor Giuliano, um, the federal government, uh, came down on him and said, you can't sell, let marijuana be sold in, in the state of New York mm. or, or we're going to, um, you're going to be in trouble with the federal government. And right. so he had seen so many positive benefits from the use of marijuana that he just did not want to uh, stop the use of marijuana. He felt it was a very important um, counterbalance to all the alcohol drinking. So he actually hired a team of doctors and researchers to do extensive research. They went into universities and they they did um, investigations into the uh, psychological profiles and the grades of alcohol users versus marijuana users. And they found across the board the alcohol users had the lowest grades and the marijuana users had the highest grades in university. The marijuana users said that they use it because it helped them relaxed and it helped them um, handle stress better. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But uh, anyhow, the point I'm getting at is uh, eventually the federal government said, you have a choice. We'll either remove you as mayor or you stop it. So he had Mm -hmm. to uh, crack down on marijuana sales, but he produced this huge, uh, report. It's a great big hardcover blue book. And in there, one of the th- things that he, they, they talk about, and I've seen in other books is that one of the, um, uses of marijuana throughout antiquity was to help women with menstrual pain. Absolutely. What are some of the other, um, kind of medical or therapeutic applications of marijuana beside what we've already covered? Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I don't think that we've spoken about the inflammatory, anti-inflammatory benefit of cannabis, but, um, cannabis is, can be very anti-inflammatory and specifically CBD. Um, but raw cannabinoids in particular. So they're, they're quite hard to find these days on the market because, you know, we haven't sort of come back to what I call the holistic plant purpose. Um, but we do have uh, a couple of different folks in the state of California. And I I think I've seen in other states now 
that are actually making tincture out of the raw plant material, which is, um, which is what the raw cannabinoids are, the THCA and the CBDA, the acid versions of these um, therapeutic compounds. And those are particularly anti-inflammatory. So just like you know, juicing in general, when we juice our leafy greens, right, we have great anti-inflammatory effect. And the same is true, um, but even more so with cannabis, because it does has, have already such profound anti-inflammatory purposes. Um, also the same, you know, with autoimmune disease, you know, the primary function of cannabis in the body is to regulate the endocannabinoid system, which means that it's creating communication to help develop greater states of homeostasis by regulating our other regulatory systems, right? And that's why it has so many therapeutic applications, everything from sleep to pain to anxiety to, you know, trauma to, you know, you name it, cannabis can help. And while it does have specific action in the body to help, you know, with specific ailments like that, really what it's doing is helping to create greater homeostasis or a state of health in the body. Um, and that is how it is so effective on autoimmune disease, right? Because our bodies these days are being inundated by all this garbage um, and our, our immune systems are on hyper response. And so, you know, cannabis used in, again, sun-grown full-spectrum cannabis grown with intention and in, you know, in healthful ways, um, when we bring it into our bodies can help to regulate, regulate, um, very seriously regulate and calm that immune response. So those are a couple of others. And then we haven't spoken about it yet, but I won't let us off the phone until we do, which is, um, sensuality, right? And so you're talking yeah. about helping to regulate pain for menstrual cramps with women. Absolutely. That is an amazing and profound thing um, for women to be able to, you know, use this substance to not only ease the pain, but again, to ease the hormonal responses, regulate the hormonal responses that we go through during our monthly cycles and, and building up to the things that start causing the pain through, the, through our menstrual cramping. Um, and so, you know, using microdoses of cannabis and specifically THC and CBD um, throughout a woman's cycle will help to regulate and ease the kind of extreme ups and extreme downs of the hormone system um, that causes us such discomfort during during our cycle, during our monthly cycles. Um, it causes us dis discomfort too. <laughs> <laughs> you mean men? <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah. Uh, old, yeah, I don't know if you've heard the joke. What's the difference between a woman, a woman who's PMSing and an alligator? Nope. Lipstick. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> so regulating hormones can be a, a huge benefit, of course. And then specifically for pain, we can apply topical cannabis to our, um, you know, above our ovaries and on our lower back, and that can help to really significantly alleviate pain. And then I also make a product that you apply internally. Um, which can be very profound and beneficial that women can actually, you know, put on their tampons if they're still using tampons or, you know, in their cups, which hopefully more women are migrating to now. Um, and you just put that oil in there. There's also companies that make them in suppository form um, because getting that, that cannabis up, you know, inside of us can actually be very beneficial for a lot yeah. of different things. That's very good to know. I'm excited. I'm glad that uh, we get to share that with the audience. I, I love yeah. knowing that you're producing such beautiful, well-thought-out products to support yes. women. And, and, you know, my joke was just a joke. I'm sure I'm going to get all sorts of, I'll get, I'll get all <laughs> no. sorts of nasty comments. I used to tell jokes in my classes and, you know, 99% of the people loved them, but every now and then somebody would just have a friggin' cow and yeah. to turn me into every certification body or whatever. Totally. I'm like, 
Christ, if you lose your sense of humor, you're already dead. Exactly. I, I totally agree. Um, and I, the- I tell the girls, tell me a freaking man joke. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. I know we need to come up with more of those for sure. Yeah. Um, but you know, we, you and I spoke briefly about this idea that sensuality, you know, becoming more in touch with ourselves, right. Knowing within ourselves, what makes us feel good, um, and becoming more in tune with all of our chakras, not just up in our heads where we live so much of the time these days as Westerners and overachievers and, you know, frantic workers to pay the bills. Um, I actually developed my intimacy product, um, which is an intimate oil that's meant to be applied to our most private parts. Um, You know, specifically was not developed uh, as a sex aid, but was developed so that I could get more in touch with my lower chakras and, and sort of reattach myself to things that were not just in my head. Um, and getting more in touch with my divine feminine and the seat of my power as a woman coming from those places. Um, you know, call it pussy power, call it what you will, call it, you know, positive pussies, all of the things. But, you know, I'm quoted in a, I think it's the SF Weekly or San Francisco Chronicle, one of them is saying quite literally, uh, you can't have a bad day when your pussy is high. And I can tell you that that is true. <laughs> I, I, I think I'd love it if all the girls had pussies that were high. Exactly. I think the world, I think everything would be better. And it I think, would be. I think we got a problem right now with all these unhealthy men out there. I got 19-year-old athletes contacting me, asking me how to get off of Viagra. So it's yeah. clear we, we wow. need to, the men need to get their dicks high a little bit Absolutely. too. Absolutely. And they're not so on detached. Viagra. Right. Because yeah. so, we're so detached from our sensual sensual selves, our sensual, you know, beings that have senses, right? We get so detached from that. And, you know, I live in, I live in wine country. So we're all about the senses, right? We're all about the, the smell and the, the sight and the flavors of these, you know, decadent nuanced wines and, you know, the extraordinary food that we have access to. And, um, you know, cannabis is, uh, a gateway to being able to rediscover and deepen our association with our own senses, and which is why it's so incredibly beneficial to our intimate relationships, right? Um, women that have completely lost their libido, men that are so detached from themselves that they think they, ju- you know, that that women just become a hole to stick something into, you know, they've become detached from their sensual beings. Um, and cannabis is can reawaken, you know, with intention, can really reawaken both men and women alike in a way that helps them become much more embodied and much more sensual. Uh, and to me, that is one of the most important things, um, you know, as a modern woman that I can do to help restore health and well-being for people. Um, you know, I'm not a doctor and I don't pertain to be, but, but you know, just getting people back in touch with their themselves as sensual beings and con- deepening their connection with those around them and especially their loved ones is very powerful medicine. I think you're a midwife of the earth. Are you married? I am. <laughs> if I ever meet your husband and he's got an ear to ear grin, I know he's going to be, he's high <laughs> on your pussy. It's <laughs> like, okay, I know why you're so happy. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, interestingly enough, when you apply THC dermally, either on your external skin or even in, on your soft tissue, uh, it does not get you, you know, there is no high associated. Um, but, you know, if you are eating my intimate oil, wherever you're eating it from, uh, you know, it, it will give you the psychoactive effect. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Well, 
Um, I think eating certain places gets me high with or without the oil. Especially <laughs> That's if it's the a divine healthy, feminine. <laughs> yeah, if it's a healthy woman, I'm like, yeah, baby, I'm, I'm exactly. there. Exactly. But, um, you know, I, I, we haven't mentioned this yet. I alluded to it earlier on a break. I found early, uh, actually, probably when I was like 17 years of age, I was never into alcohol. I didn't like alcohol and I saw how stupid it made my friends and all the trouble they got. And I was also a competitive boxer and kickboxer. So I just found my internal sense that alcohol was not going to be good for me, but very good for my opponent. In other words, turned me into a a person that wouldn't train hard and be disciplined. Mm. But I did enjoy marijuana um, and I would uh, use it for recovery and just, you know, general relaxation. And I found it very uh, therapeutic as a, as a fighter. But one of the things that I found is that it helped me uh, prolong ejaculation. I mean, I mean, uh, delay it is what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. And I I used to be uh, amazed and and even still, like if I want to have a good long sex session, then I'll get myself really picked up on some good pot. And I find it's very, very helpful for delaying uh, ejaculation, which I think is important for a lot of guys to know that may have problems with premature ejaculation, or maybe they don't have premature ejaculation, but they just want to be able to pleasure their woman more. Right. Uh, I, th- I think um, a lot of a lot of you listening, if you haven't tried that, um, I, I found that the uh, myself, uh, you have to experiment. But I found sometimes the sativas were, for some reason, a little better. Uh, but I think each person has to experiment, and I can tell you. There's a wild difference in the effects uh, on each individual. I grew my own pot out here because I have a medical marijuana license, which allows me to grow, I think, 12 plants or or up to two pounds I'm allowed to have. And so I grew it right out here on the side of the mountain that I'm on. And this pot, I mean, I just grew it right. I just planted it right in the soil and watered it and put some um, organic, uh, just some organic fertilizer on it. And- it was so freaking powerful. Mm. I mean, it, I don't know what the THC content in it was, but it I could take one hit of that stuff and I was like jacked, like when <laughs> I smoked these super high THCs. But my point is that my assistant at the time who worked with me for 11 years, and she's a very tapped in woman, she had the opposite effect. It affected mm. her like indica affects me. Yeah. So ultimately, I just gave most of it to her because I'm like, I can't even smoke this stuff. It is way too powerful for my brain. And it was completely organic. I bought yeah. these seeds. Uh, they were a very, it cost me $300 for 12 seeds because it was a high grade um, Afghan. Uh, uh, what was it? Uh, it was called train wreck, but it was from. Oh, I, I love train wreck. Yeah. It's yeah. a great strain. Absolutely. Yeah. I know yeah. it's such a terrible name, but it's actually a really, really great. Well, it turned me into a train wreck. Yeah. I'm like, it's appropriately named. Well, and that's something that's really, I mean, you know, the, when we talk with people about cannabis, you know, we were talking about helping people find the strain that they tune into, that their bodies are drawn to because that's the strain or that's the plant that they need. Um, yeah. This is all very individual. And you talked about, you know, fingerprints and how we're all different on the inside and the outside everyone's endocannabinoid system is wired differently. Yeah. So what, you know, in fact, 15% of the population, um, somewhere around there, based on studies that have been done recently, um, CBD is meant to calm all of our regulatory systems. But for about 15% of the population, it can actually be very very elevating. 
And so they actually just have a different type of endocannabinoid system. So, you know, beyond just seeking out full grown, you know, full term sun grown plants um, as the basis for quality when you're approaching this plant medicine, the other thing that you need to remember is that it's a journey, it's whole plant medicine, and it's going to everybody's, you know, medicine is going to be slightly different, their dosage, um, their delivery method, the plants themselves that make them feel their best. So something really important to, to know and, and be willing to experiment with, play with it. <laughs> as it yeah. Were. You know, when you talked a little earlier about, um, putting the, uh, sensual oil or, or your oil, uh, on your, uh, vagina and, and for grounding yourself and accessing your lower chakras. I think one of the things people should do right off the bat is just get barefooted and get their feet on the earth. Absolutely. You know, so many people are, don't realize that there's, they're disconnecting themselves from the earth, which breaks the natural flow of the bioelectrical circuit into the earth and leads to the accumulation of massive amounts of, of electromagnetic pollution in the body and just yes. creates inflammation and heat and, uh, you know, the long list of uh, problems but uh, my only point is, yeah, you know, these types of supplements and oils and things can be very helpful for opening chakras. And there's a lot of ways to do it from tuning forks to chanting to whatever. But if people would just get their bare feet on the ground, but you, now you got to be careful too, because if you're at most public places and parks are spraying Roundup and all sorts of uh, shit on the ground. So, you, stuff. you know, you got to be conscious about where you put your feet on the ground. Yeah. But uh, I just wanted to, you know, my biodynamic. people. My biodynamic farmer that that farms our beautiful cannabis plants talks a lot about that. And in fact, he's actually kept himself alive um, through the concept of electricity and the and the power that we get from the earth and the way that we absorb water through the fourth stage of water uh, and you know, sort of organized water states and that being the electrical pulses that run through our body that actually allow our heart to pump. Um, and the energy that we get from the sunlight and, you know, the soil and all of those things. He, I mean, he's unbelievably profound, but he has actually kept himself alive, even though his pacemaker has stopped for many years now. It's incredible. That's cool. Yeah. It's so righteous. It's, and his philosophy on all these things is spot on to what you're talking about in a very profound way. Speaking of pacemakers, do you know who invented the pacemaker? I don't. Well, I'm going to give you and everybody listening in a very cool tip. The man that invented the pacemaker's name is Itzhak Bentov, and he is the first man to do scientific investigations into the effects of meditation on the human body. He was a deeply spiritual guy. He's one of my heroes, somebody I pray to and give thanks to every day. I have a sculpture of him in my office. And wow. his first book, which I'm hoping you will read because it's going to blow your mind, is called Stalking the Wild Pendulum by Itzhak, I-T-Z-H-A-K, Bentov. It's one of the f- most important books I recommend to all my students and my clients to begin their spiritual development because it explains spirituality very scientifically. So it appeases the left brainers, but also uh, feeds the right brain. And he's got three books and they're Excellent. Amazing. I'm definitely going to check that out. Yeah. Let me know what you think. Well, you know, we're getting late in the show here. What, what, anything you want to share before we close out? Oh my goodness. Um, seek out sun grown full season plant medicine, be willing to, to play with it and become childlike with it. Um, understand that life is a healing journey to get back to self and health. 
um, and uh, and that cannabis can really help open us up, make us more expansive, make us more receptive. Um, and if it's not making you feel better, you've got the wrong cannabis. <laughs> well, and I'll add a little something to that. Self in common uh, psychological terms means yourself, like get back to Alicia or get back to Paul. But capital S-E-L-F means all that supports you, which is the earth, the water, the sun, the air, our relationships, our family. So the two things we have to remember that a lot of the uses of medical drugs and recreational drugs are compensations for not having a connection to the little S-E-L-F, the self, or and or being disconnected from the greater self, which in Jungian psychology means all that supports you Mm. and is very, very important. Um, If you lose contact and you don't touch the earth with your feet and you don't spend time doing unbound play and breathing fresh air and getting out into nature and eating real food and spending your money to support sustainable farmers instead of corporate crap that's ruining the planet, then all your money's going into destroying the self. And the more you destroy the self, you're right back to my echo concept. Whatever you do to the outside, you do to the inside. You poison the environment, you poison yourself. You nurture the environment, you nurture yourself. And that's the big S, E-L-F. So I think, you know, in closing, because you mentioned that, I just had to round it out and say, remember, there's two selves we need to exist. We need the self that we eat and drink and breathe and share space on and have relationships with. And there's the self that we get to have our individual consciousness, which gives us the experience and the capacity to love. Without our ego self, there's no way we can have the experience of loving because without the ego, then you're just um, you're unified with the field of consciousness and you have no sense of self. Mm. So loving oneself is essential because it is the subjective element that allows the other person or place or thing to be the object of your devotion. Indeed. And how fitting that um, I actually think I read this morning that is Bob Marley would have been his 75th birthday today and one love, right? One love. (laughs) Well, yes. And um, that's uh, one love. And uh, I love Bob Marley and he was an expert on the use of marijuana. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And LSD (laughs) and uh, musical instruments. All the, all the harmonics. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, what a great conversation, Alicia. I'm so grateful to my buddy for connecting us. Likewise. And I've enjoyed our, our, our interactions and, and, you know, we did a session to prepare for this because we wanted to make sure that we, you know, just didn't say the same shit everybody else is saying. So hopefully you guys listening found this very enjoyable. I sure did. And I learned a lot of cool stuff from you. And I know you have a happy pussy now. (laughs) That's out of the most important things of today. That makes me happy. (laughs) Just knowing there's at least one girl out there with a happy pussy. Actually, I know a couple of others too. Awesome. uh, Awesome. um, Where can people learn about more about you, your offerings, or anything else that you'd like to share? Yeah. Um, you know, the cannabis uh, industry, the newly capitalized industry of sacred plant medicine continues to surprise and delight and terrify us all. Um, but uh, but we are making our way through as a, 
I think, an important voice in this industry. So learn more about our philosophy and our offerings at herbabuena.com. Cool. And um, do you do any consulting? I'm, I'm wondering if, uh, can people hire for you for like a Skype session to discuss maybe what their personal needs are or Absolutely. to get suggestions or reference? Because I can really see you helping a lot of people with your expertise that Absolutely. are kind of lost and confused and maybe don't want to poison themselves with bad shit. Yes, indeed they Great. can. Yep. And I love that. It's, it's part of the, you know, part of owning a cannabis company that I enjoy most is, is actually getting to, you know, sit down with folks and, and have those intimate, hard conversations and touch on all those topics and really help guide them to, you know, through their own healing journey using this, this profound and, and sacred plant medicine. So absolutely. Yeah. I really feel you're a midwife for mother earth. Oh, I love that. I'm going to, maybe that's my new title. Founder yeah. and CEO. It sounds way better than that. Yeah. <laughs> It's uh, it's interesting. I've had some deep visions of the Black Madonna. Are you familiar with the Black Madonna? A little bit. Yeah, it's uh, I won't go into it. It's a long story. I'll do a podcast on it one day. But uh, you know, she's the uh, personification of Mother Earth is one mm-hmm. of the expressions of the Black Madonna. And I just when I'm talking to you, I painted the Black Madonna. Angie and I did. And she's right over by a huge Native American Indian drum right behind me. Mm. I'll have to take a picture because you remind me, I feel the Black Madonna in you. Mm, I love that. Please, please send me a picture. I would love to see it. <laughs> yeah, it, I'll do it. Well, uh, and do you just charge people by the hour for these yep. consultations? Yep, totally. We can do um, by Skype or phone, or if you find yourself in wine country, you can meet me in person and we offer, you know, full one and a half hour tasting, guided tasting experiences, which can certainly be um, focused on, you know, particular health uh, problems or, you know, just overall knowledge and understanding of this plant and how to incorporate it into daily life for better, better health and well-being. Good. And just for people that, because I have listeners all over the world, when you say wine country, can Uh, you specifically? Yes. Napa and Sonoma, mostly. Yep. North, north of San Francisco. You know, uh, Penny, my wife, Penny's a pilot. I have two wives. I don't know if you know that, but Angie and Penny and Angie's a highly trained shaman who did her training at the Institute for Shamanic Studies. Mm. And we used to fly right into, uh, I believe it's Napa. Awesome. Um, uh, you're close to my buddy that turned us on to each other, right? Indeed. Yes, I am. Yep. Yeah. Deep, well, the airport, the airport that Penny flies into to drop Angie off for her shamanic training is like six miles from his house. Amazing. That's so I was cool. probably right in your backyard and didn't know it. I know. Well, you'll have to say hi the next time you're in town. <laughs> uh, I definitely will. I've got to meet this girl for sure. I got to, I got to see this happy woman. <laughs> exactly. I, I also got to get some of that it. happy pussy cream for my girls. You do. You absolutely do. Yep. For All sure. right. Hey, awesome. what a great, great time. Day. Thank you very much for all your love and all your wisdom and all that you do for people in the world. And uh, I really look forward to meeting you in person. And I hope you uh, have plenty of people that seek out your help because I love it when people find wise counsel. Mm. And I will send you a picture of my black Madonna. Amazing. Enjoy. Have a beautiful day. And thank you so much for having me. Aho, great spirit. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Living 4D with Paul Check and today's guest, Alicia Rose. You can find Herba Buena online at herbabuena.com 
on Instagram at Herbabuena underscore OG or on Facebook at Herbabuena. Follow Paul on Instagram and Twitter at Living4D Podcast or on his YouTube podcast channel, youtube.com forward slash Living4D with Paul Check. You can watch more on Paul's blog at paulchecksblog.com and at the Czech Institute's new streaming media site, chakiva.com. <laughs>